What's up and welcome back to Bar Down Talking Hockey, episode number 72, presented by the Barroom Network. My name is Vinny Parisi, and this team right here has a top 20 center in the NHL. And this right here, this is Frankie Mueller, and he absolutely, totally, 100% went to Marquette University. Frank, how we doing? I'm doing fantastic. I'm, uh, I'm in a really good mood today. Oh yeah, why is that? I don't know. I'm just in a good mood. It's it's just been a great day. Yesterday was a fantastic day with my writing. I was like, I was telling G, like when I got finished writing yesterday, I felt like so proud of everything I wrote. And I don't always feel like that after I write an article. So it was like really good. And it just continued into today. I don't know. That's very good. I'm incredibly proud of you. Make sure you go to apptrigger.com to read Frankie's articles on the video game industry. And what he does is incredible. I am a huge fan. And I also am in a great mood. You know why? Why is that, VP? Summer's coming to an end. At the beginning of summer, I always look forward to it. It's a great time. We got a lot to look forward to. You got the bags tournament. You got our annual trip to Door County, a whole bunch of stuff. I had a trip to Nashville. It was an incredible summer. But now that it's coming to a close, we have football to look forward to. We have the Major League Baseball postseason to look forward to. And we have the National Hockey League to look forward to. And we will discuss all of that throughout the show, beginning in period number one. Welcome to period one, where we are going to dissect a certain team in the National Hockey League that we talk about quite frequently on this show. I would say they're a top 10 most talked about team on this show. I used to be, they used to be like my undisputed number two team when they weren't playing the Devils. I rooted for them no matter what. Zach Parisi is my favorite player in the history of the National Hockey League for various obvious reasons. I'm talking, of course, about the Minnesota Wild, and there is nobody better to write or to come on this show to talk about it. Then Jesse Pierce, who covers the Minnesota Wild for NHL.com. She has the Bar Down Beauties podcast, and she covers the Minnesota Vikings as well. Jesse, how are we doing? I'm good. I mean, with a last name like Parisi and a New Jersey Devils fan, no wonder you're a Zachy fan, I suppose. <laughs> I get it. I get it. Although I've never had anybody be like, Minnesota's my top team to watch outside of Minnesota. So I, I commend you for that. And that's funny. When I hear people say stuff like that, I'm like, man, this team's been fun for a long time. Like, Outside of the one year where they came in last in the Central, I think it was the year that the Hawks won the lottery, got Doc. It was the 18-19 season. Besides that year, they've made the playoffs every year since Zach got there. And I'm like, this team's actually been kind of fun to watch. Like, I don't just because they haven't had like a Patrick Kane or a Sidney Crosby doesn't mean that they haven't been exciting to watch. So we can't thank you enough for coming on the show. Um, let's get right into it. Of let's course, go. last season was a tremendous year for the Minnesota Wild. They were one of the best teams in the Western Conference. They looked like a legitimate Stanley Cup contender all season long, and then they ran into that team in the first round that kind of had the exact same season as them. They were almost like mirror twins of each other. The, of course, I'm referring to the St. Louis Blues. What did you make of their 2021-22 season? I mean, Vinny, you summed it up really well right there. A fantastic regular season, and nobody wants to take that away from the Minnesota Wild, namely Minnesota Wild players and media. I mean, they set records for franchise wins and wins at home and points. And I mean, you had career years for a number of guys, Ryan Hartman, Marcus Foligno, uh, Jordan Greenway. I mean, the list goes on and on. All of that combined into this amazing regular season. However, and you had alluded to the Minnesota Wild making the playoffs, they don't go very deep in the playoffs, which is a very hurtful thing here in the state of hockey. Uh, they get bounced in the first round to St. Louis. St. Louis all year to me was kind of a sneaky team. I mean, they definitely have the, the physicality going for them. They had good goaltending. And the ironic thing is 
they switched up their goaltending to start the series against the Minnesota Wild. They went with Yuso, um, who did well in that first game. Minnesota Wild got absolutely trounced in game one. Um, they they switched over to Jordan Bennington, and it was the change that they needed. Now, Minnesota, on the flip side, had signed Marc-Andre Fleury uh, at, via trade during the March trade deadline, which was huge. It brings a name. It brings somebody that everybody recognizes on the national scheme. The Minnesota Wild don't get that much national recognition. I think a lot of times they go very under the radar. They're just kind of this meh team. But Marc-Andre Fleury really epitomized the Wild as a contending team. So he got the start to uh, to start that series. And he did okay, uh, but ultimately not good enough to beat Bennington and the Blues. Um, again, it was, it was a fun series. I think I expected a closer series, especially looking at how uh, Minnesota played all regular season long, but the blues had Minnesota's number throughout the regular season too. You go back to the winter classic, namely, um, and, and St. Louis just kind of knew how to beat Minnesota. So all in all, it was a great regular season, a disappointing postseason. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what happens heading into this year. Yeah. So last year or not last year, but last hockey season, me and Vinny were talking. Um, I told him that the Minnesota wild getting Mark Andre Fleury, was not going to change a single thing. They weren't going to go any further than they would. It would not matter. And ultimately, they get bounced in the first round of the St. Louis Blues. I think at that time, it was just a poor decision by the Minnesota Wild. Cam Talbot was on fire leading up to the playoffs. Do you think adding Mark andre Fleury hurt them in the long run? Is there anything else they could have done instead of acquiring him that could have helped them get past that first round? Uh, you know, I think that's a great question. I, on the other side of it, was very critical of Cam Talbot from the very beginning. I think I made the prediction on another radio show that Koppelkakinen would be traded because at that time, you didn't have a strong number one. Cam Talbot wasn't a strong number one, and Koppelkakinen had come in and snuck and, and taken that job from him, frankly. And, and Cam Talbot is also on the older side. Now, Marc-Andre Fleury, even older. However, everybody knows what Marc-Andre Fleury can bring. Um, and I think you, you, know, you alluded to Cam Talbot's stretch. I think the defense and the offense played incredibly well during that stretch. I think Cam Talbot didn't steal any games, which is, for me, why I was okay with the Marc-Andre Fleury trade. I think Talbot, throughout the course of the year, never proved to me that he is this goaltender that's going to help save the wild. I think you had your offense contributing. I think you had your defense contributing um, enough to say they didn't do that in front of flower. Of course they did. I mean, but flower also had to learn how to control his rebounds differently with the different defensive scheme in front of him. Right. So, I mean, it was kind of night and day for him. So, I mean, both goaltenders were put in kind of an unfair situation come the playoffs, especially when they made the switch to cam Talbot to start in a do or die situation. That also wasn't fair to him. Um, but ultimately I like the move for flurry because again, he is a Hall of Fame goaltender. Cam Talbot is a is a good goaltender, but to me, he's never been great. Again, I I go back to him not stealing the games. His if you look at his record and the wins, that looks fine and well. But Minnesota was scoring seven goals on the other end, so I think Flurry to me is the goaltender you want when your offense isn't producing, or maybe when your defense is hurt. Whereas Cam Talbot really relied on all of those components in order to be successful. You brought up Marc-Andre Fleury kind of bringing some national recognition to the Minnesota Wild, despite throughout all the years, them not really getting it quite like the Blackhawks or the Penguins or, you know, teams like that. And they've had some offensive players that have put up some big numbers. I, I remember Marion Gabrick was outstanding for the Minnesota Wild way back in the day. Of course, Zach Parisi, Jason Pominville, Mikhail Granlin, all these guys putting up like outstanding offensive numbers. Miko Koivu, one of the best players in franchise history. 
but it seems a little bit different with this Kirill Kaprizov. He seems to just be on an entirely different level than any forward that ever played in the history of the Minnesota Wild. And it did get some national attention. People on ESPN and the radio shows, they all love talking about Kirill the Thrill. Can you describe to me what he means to you as a media person and fan and you know just what he means to the NHL in terms of a top forward? Yeah, I mean, rookie of the year for a reason, right? I think that was the right decision. Uh, going back, you know, you heard all of this tout about Kirill Kaprizov, and it took him forever to get over to Minnesota and leave the KHL. But everybody was like, he's this diamond in the rough that the Minnesota Wild found in the fifth round, and he is just phenomenal. And you'd watch highlight reels, and of course, it's easy to watch a highlight reel and be like, yeah, he looks really good. I will never forget that first day of camp that Kirill Kaprizov was there in person. And he was better than advertised. Like he does things that guys would just try out on a pond. Right. And I think that's the way the NHL in general is trending, but his creativity and his confidence in trying those creative moves is what really separate separates him that in his edge work, which is mm, chef's kiss. Absolutely phenomenal. The fact that he can cycle around teams over and over again until he gets the right move. It's, it's just incredible. Um, you know, I think he's a player he just, he's confident, but he's always working too. He's not that superstar that just rests on his skill only. He is the first one on the ice, last one on the ice. He's constantly trying to better himself, better himself as a player. Um, but at the same time, he knows he's good. He knows that he wants to bring Minnesota to that next step. He's a very team first player as well. Um, you know, which I think can be rare in superstars once in a while. Like he definitely, there's no um, success without team success for him. So he's just, he's been so much fun to watch. Uh, you had mentioned Marion Gabrick. I think he is the first superstar since Marion Gabrick to put on a Minnesota wild Jersey, but even that he's better than Gabrick because he's different than Gabrick. I mean, you know, age and, and skill set alone are just, they're different, but it's just, you can feel it. You can just feel, and it's brought a whole bunch of excitement to the Minnesota wild organization, to the state of hockey in general. And, and wild fans are very, very fortunate to have him in their organization for, uh, for the next couple of years to come. Yeah. I'm getting excited. Hockey is just a little over a month away with preseason. Um, given all that as the off season's dwindling down here, what have you seen from the Minnesota Wild this offseason that has really caught your attention, if anything? You know, it's it's been quieter. It was funny. I was just talking to some media colleagues about this. Like, and, and Minnesota tends to do this, which I love and I hate. They will make all their moves within the span of like a day or two and like have me super busy, and then they just stop, and they're done until camp. Um, you know, the big moves being Kevin Fiala obviously going to the Los Angeles Kings. That's 85 points out the door. Um, but, you know, I think Bill Guerin made the move that he had to. They were never going to come to terms with Kevin Fiala, and Kevin Fiala deserves to get paid. That cap space that Zach Parisi and Ryan Suter are eating up, of course, absolutely challenges the Minnesota Wild salary cap. So they weren't going to be able to afford him. But other than that, if you look at the moves that Bill Guerin's made, which being re-signing Jacob Middleton, who played really well as the top pair alongside Jared Spurgeon, um, along with re-signing, who else did they? There's somebody else. I'm blank. John Merrill. John Merrill, the other defenseman too, who is actually currently injured right now. Hopefully will be okay by training camp, but got injured in the World Championships competing for Team USA. But those were kind of the two re-signings where he's keeping his money wits about him, but still getting some really good players. I mean, I go back to last offseason and the moves he made in picking up Dmitry Kulikov and Jordy Ben. And, you know, I looked at it and I was like, well, you went to the you went to the recycle bin, right? Because you were just trying to save money. But they turned out really, really well. So, I mean, I think having Middleton back, 
um, alongside Spurge is going to be fantastic. And again, you're still looking at a lot of the same offensive talent that you had last year. So yes, while missing Kevin Fiala is going to be a big hole, I think Marco Rossi is a guy that can come in. I think it leaves room for Tyson Jost to really step up his play, make a bigger impact. Um, a guy that came from Colorado last year in exchange for Nico Sturm. Um, so really, I mean, it's again, it's been quiet for the most part, but I think that's okay. And obviously bringing back Marc-Andre Fleury and um, getting rid of Cam Talbot will be interesting to see how that goaltending tandem does work. Gustafsson from Ottawa is a young goalie who could learn a lot under Fleury. And I kind of like the veteran rookie tandem that uh, him and Flower could have. But all in all, I'm okay with it being quiet. I still have a sneaky suspicion that Bill Guerin might have one more little tiny, tiny baby move up his sleeve. I don't know what, and I have no reason to really go on other than that. It's Bill Guerin, and he's always got something up his sleeve. Yeah, it could be one of the three defensemen from the Chicago Blackhawks that are on the block right now. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That would really help them. Yeah. Um, 2019 was an outstanding year for the United States National Development Program. Okay, You had Jack Hughes. He was first overall. Cole Caulfield lit it up. Everybody adored Spencer Knight, the goaltender. Matthew Boldy is low-key one of the better prospects to come from that class. And the Minnesota Wild got him in the mid-teens that year, and he has been sensational. I loved his game this past season, and I think there's only a chance to grow. What have you seen from him? I mean, 100%. That class out of the NTDP was phenomenal. And, you know, going back to Matt Boldy's draft year, I remember I covered the All-American Prospects game here in St. Paul that year and got a chance to get to know him and, and Hughes. And everybody, you know, looked at it and they're like, oh, Cole Caulfield, that's who the Minnesota Wild should pick. The Wild, like a lot of other teams, passed on Caulfield. And naturally, Caulfield, his debut was sensational, right? He went in and did everything he could for Montreal. But I love Minnesota's patience, especially with Matt Boldy. I mean, Matt Boldy was a good player. The way he can move for his size and the way that he can stick handle and just his general vision is absolutely phenomenal. And I would absolutely credit a lot of his ability to complimenting Kevin Fiala as to why Kevin Fiala had the year that he had as well, right? I mean, that's not a cynical approach from Minnesota fans or Minnesota media saying, oh, well, he can't do it without Matt Boldy. But Matt Boldy was a huge reason Kevin Fiala succeeded in the way that he did. Um, you know, and I think Boldy hasn't even hit his ceiling yet, right? He's still a young guy. He still has so much that he could achieve, but he's off to a really, really good start. And I know Bill Guerin's got to be thrilled with that. Jesse, um, the Wild, they had 53 wins last year, finishing second in the Central Division only behind the Colorado Avalanche, the Titans of the NHL. I always tell Vinny that I think Colorado is the step above an NHL team. If there was that step, they were so amazingly powerful. I just couldn't believe the way they were playing. Do you think the Minnesota Wild take a step back this year, or do they overtake Colorado? And also, Besides the Avalanche, who should the Wild keep their eye on? Who is their next biggest threat besides them? Uh, you know, the second part is a, is a great question, but I'll start with your first part. I do think Minnesota takes a slight step back. And again, that's not to say because you're missing Kevin Fiala by any stretch of the imagination. I think it's unrealistic to expect the guys I mentioned earlier, Marcus Foligno, Ryan Hartman, to have the career years that they had. I think there was so much um, over exceeding expectations last year from the team as a whole that I think it's going to be really hard to replicate. Now, I granted, I hope I am wrong. I just think, you know, Marcus Foligno and Ryan Hartman being some of your top goal scorers isn't really realistic, um, frankly. And, and again, you'll have Marco Rossi 
ideally stepping in to play a, a big center role. And, and you're also hoping that everyone's healthy. I think Jordan Greenway is also questionable to start camp because he's also injured. Um, so, I mean, there's that. I think taking over Colorado is a, it's a tall glass of water to order, right? I mean, it's, it's hard for anybody to do, let alone the Minnesota Wild, who are kind of trying to piecemeal this team together under the cap restraints that they have. Um, you know, a team to watch out for. I really like what LA is doing. I think LA is kind of making some moves. Also, I know a lot of people disagree with me on this. I kind of like what Nashville's doing too. I think Nashville's made some really big moves that they're really, you can tell that they're putting their chips all in, right? Getting a guy like Ryan McDonough, reuniting Mikhail Granlin and Nino Niederreiter, Minnesota Wild fans, very affectionate about them. Um, I think Nashville is also kind of my, my sneaky pick to, uh, to make some splashes in, in the West there. But I think Minnesota ultimately takes a step back isn't going to overthrow Colorado just yet. Give them time, give them a couple years and we'll see. But right now I think this year, um, you know, they'll kind of be somewhere in the middle. I love that answer. We, I was going all in on Nashville on our last yeah, episode because I was just right? in Nashville and we were recapping the episode from like a or our trip on like a fun point of view. And then we started talking about the Predators. I'm like, they're going to be good. I Part of me <laughs> hopes they just trade for Charlie Coyle and Jason Zucker and like bring those four Wild back Wild 2.0. Yeah. yeah, that would be unbelievable. <laughs> but yeah, and the Kings, maybe they'll trade for Patrick King. Mm-hmm. You brought up Marco Rossi. And of course, we talked about Boldy a little bit. Are there any other prospects that the Minnesota Wild have that could make the jump this year or that you're just extremely excited about in terms of the future? Um, You know, I'm really curious to see what Kalen Addison does. He got some looks last year on the blue line. The tough thing is now Minnesota's depth uh, back on the defensive end is so strong, whereas I think they're not ready to fully commit to Kalen. And I don't know. He's a power play specialist, which is going to be huge special teams for Minnesota not that great last year to say the least to put it in a nice way um but that's kind of the one thing that Kalen could bring obviously the other one Jesper Wellstead uh Sweden's top goaltender right now playing in the world juniors uh everyone's very excited whereas that's where again you look at okay you've got Flurry and Gustafsson this year kind of as bridge right until Jesper's ready I think Jesper will be ready hopefully not this season but the following but he's uh obviously one that everybody is clamoring for very very excited um and and Marco Rossi again Bill Guerin continues to remind us that it's not his spot but it is Rossi's spot to lose because I don't know that there's any other players down in the AHL that can really fight him for that so uh I'm still excited to see what he can bring taking that next step in his career you know, we talked about how the Wild may take that step back this year, but they still may be very good as well. Um, what did the Minnesota have, Minnesota Wild have to do to get to the Stanley Cup final or even win the Stanley Cup? Because they've never even got to the Stanley Cup final in their franchise history. But you never know. It could happen this year. There's been bigger surprises that we've seen. But what is the biggest thing they need to focus on this season to get there? You need a center, without question. They've needed a center for years. I don't mean forever as long as i've watched this team they don't have a true number one center jules eric's neck is a very good center marco rossi is a very good center ryan hartman is not a center but he's playing a very good center position between Kirill kaprizov and matt zuccarello um so i mean that's something that they really have to beef up and they addressed that a little bit during this year's draft which is promising um but ultimately i think that's your number one concern is finding that center that you can really trust everything on and making sure that you continue to have guys that can complement kirill kaprizov again no sl- shade at ryan hartman i love ryan hartman 
it's just so crazy to me that he's the player that can compliment Kirill Kaprizov and Matt Zuccarello. So, I mean, having other supporting characters around are going to be huge. Um, and then I am curious, I, I had mentioned there's the depth at the blue line, which is exciting. Brock Faber being one, he's a current gopher um, who they got in exchange for the Kevin Fiala trade from LA. But also you look at Matt Dumba's on an expiring contract. What do you do with Jonas Brodeen, Dmitry Kulikov, and you still have Alex Galagoski back there. So it's kind of, playing around with the defense a little bit, just all of it. Actually, now I think about, cause I could also talk about goaltending needs to be improved too. I think watching the teams this year in the Stanley cup playoffs and, and throughout the finals, you could tell that Minnesota wasn't there. I think everybody at the end of the regular season thought that they were, and there's that optimism and you're holding on to that hope. But if you watch the second round, Minnesota's not there. There's just a lot of places that need to be addressed. And there's time to address that too. Again, Minnesota's only going to be cap restrained for a couple more years. And then you can maybe go out there, make a big splash. Um, you know, and you're also growing your your prospects. I think the the overall umbrella look is at least Minnesota does have something to be excited about in the future with these future players coming up because back when GM uh, was Chuck Fletcher, he traded away picks like they were candy. So there wasn't any building up of your, your lower levels. And now that there is, so there's that promise. I think Minnesota has a lot to address in order to be true, true contenders. But like you said, crazier things have happened, right? So not to totally knock down on that squad, but um, I think they're still a couple years off. There were a lot of problems, though, when Bill Guerin first took the job as the Minnesota Wild GM. Like he was kind of left like that corpse of a team that tried to they tried everything they could to get over the Blackhawks, get over the Kings, get over the Blues. And they were just unable to do so. So you got aging Parisi and Suter. He had no problem cutting ties with them and taking care of the cap. It. He brought over Kirill Kaprizov. He made draft picks like Rossi, like Boldy. You know, there were a couple things uh, trading um, for Fiala, getting rid of Mikhail Granlin. And he was the leading scorer of the team at one point. People are like, you're trading Granlin for Fiala. Like, what are you doing? You're trading Nino Niederreiter for Victor Rask, even though Victor Rask is not nearly the player Nino Niederreiter is. He was a much cheaper player, and they were trying to lower the cap a little bit. And they signed Matt Zuccarello. They're like, what are you signing Matt Zuccarello for? You're not going to be that good. He's in his early 30s. He's coming and been outstanding, and they were one of the best teams in the league last year. Am I out of line for thinking that Bill Guerin has actually done a tremendous job kind of retooling this roster while still competing at the NHL level? A hundred percent not. I mean, I think everybody, the motto here in Minnesota is in Billy G we trust because he has. He's worked with what he had. And, you know, that first year he came in, he felt everybody out. I think he gave everybody a fair shot, including Zach Parisi and crew, including Ryan Suter. I mean, he had heard rumblings of kind of a disjointed locker room and, and having been in that locker room, that is very true. The culture was just off. You could feel that there was a transition that needed to be made, but you weren't sure what that was. And again, there, you know, you have your very old veteran players who are from the past regime. And then you've got these new kids and Bill Guerin trying to put his stamp on it. Um, and, and Billy G is a no BS type of guy. He's not going to put up with, you know, anybody's ego, anybody's prima donna. He literally is so team first. And he's a guy that knows what it takes to win a Stanley Cup, not only as a player, but as an assistant general manager too. So he's seen it from all sides. And I think what really makes him special is not only is he able to, again, work under those cap restraints that we had mentioned, but he knows what to look for in his players. You know, you had mentioned Victor Rask, which everybody in Minnesota loves to give Victor Rask a hard time, but it worked. It worked with Kirill Kaprizov and Matt Zuccarello for a time, a period. And, you know, again, I, I go back to last year when he went to the quote unquote recycle bin, it worked. I mean, he knows what to look for. And again, I think a lot of that has to do with Judd Brackett, who is the new director of amateur scouting as well, coming over from Vancouver. But, um, you know, Garen knows that it's not going to be an easy task working under those buyouts, but 
he doesn't regret the buyouts of Zach Parise and Ryan Suter for a minute because it has made this team better in a different way. Um, so, you know, I think he has. I think everybody has <clears throat> given Bill Guerin the full support here in the state of hockey. And he's just an awesome dude. Like there is no cooler general manager that I've ever worked with than Bill Guerin himself. He's, he, he knows what he's doing. He's got a smart hat on his shoulders and I am convinced that he will bring a Stanley cup to Minnesota eventually. Yeah. We've talking a lot about the Minnesota wild. I know that you are a writer for NHL.com. Just how has your experience been with the whole wild NHL, you know, collaboration? Like just explain to everyone why you love it. Um, and yeah, just how's your experience been with the whole thing? Yeah, no, I am Minnesota born and raised. So hockey is in our blood. I never actually played hockey, um, but I loved the game. I just thought it was so cool. I think my senior year in high school, I was stats girl for our varsity team. Um, and that's where I really learned kind of the ins and outs, like, of the game itself. And I was like, Oh wow. Okay. This is really cool. And I just kind of latched onto that and, and continued to learn more and the opportunity with NHL.com arose and I, I leaped at it. It was hard to say, you know, no, thank you to, to that. And it's great because it allows me the opportunity to not only cover the wild who are my hometown team, but I also, because I am for NHL.com, it's also other teams as well. So if the visiting team has something happen or there's news breaking there. So I get to kind of see both sides, which is which is really fun, which is probably why I'm more critical of the wild than than necessary. But um, yeah, it's it's been a really, really cool thing. It's one of those things where it definitely feels like work, uh, you know, as much as I have loved hockey my entire life. There are plenty of Tuesday nights where the last thing I want to do is go cover a Minnesota Wild versus the Ottawa Senators game or whatever, or Arizona Coyotes. Um, but I also pinch myself because, you know, as my friends remind me, I said that this is what I was going to do when I was 18. And I am now 34, still doing it, crushing it, loving it. And uh, yeah, I'm just excited to to carry that forward for as long as this career will allow me to. You also don't only cover the Minnesota Wild. I know Minnesota sports has not been as kind to you guys as we would like to see. <laughs> I, I actually, when they're not playing my teams, I cheer them on. I feel bad. I believe it's right there. If it's not the number one city that has the longest drought of any sport, it's second. I'm trying to think. I, I think it is the number I one. Think I think it it, number it's one. the number one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which yeah. is tough because I think the Raptors made it where it was number one mm -hmm. for Minnesota, which, you know, I'm sorry about that. But you also cover the Minnesota Vikings, who are a very good football team in my estimation. We go back and forth about that on this show. They weren't as good last year. I have no doubt in my mind that they are going to win the NFC North this season. What do you think about your Minnesota Vikings squad? I think that is bold. That is a bold take. Uh, again, I have, I literally have a t-shirt that says disappointed since 1961 in Vikings colors, because that's how I feel every, I mean, the heartbreak after heartbreak, but you're always ready to get hurt again. Right. Um, I think having Kirk cousins as your starting quarterback makes me nervous. Having Justin Jefferson makes me a little less nervous as your wide receiver. I still think the division goes through green Bay. I think it's hard. I mean, yes, you could say, Oh, there's no Devonte Adams. It's still Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers always figures out a way to do it. Um, I just have a tough time now. However, it is going to be fantastic because Minnesota hosts the Green Bay Packers for the opener here this year, which is going to be thrilling. But I think it's also going to be very telling um, as to if this new offense under Kevin O'Connell is any better and if the Vikings will be better. I still see them as an eight and nine team, a nine and eight team, but that's because they haven't addressed anything with their offensive line at all, which is a serious, serious problem. 
Um, so that's where I'm at. I, I think the Vikings easily are number two behind green Bay, but I still think it goes through green Bay. Yeah. Yeah. I think they finished eight, what eight, nine last year. I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I was going to ask you where you thought they would fall. And I, I had them at eight and nine and I'm glad you said right about the same thing. I had a feeling you would side with me and cause <laughs> I, there's just no way I could see them winning this division. Just no, absolutely no way. I don't care if, Aaron Rodgers doesn't have Devontae Adams to throw to. He's still Aaron Rodgers at the end of the day, and I still think he's going to control the division. Exactly. But nonetheless, I think that the biggest problem that the Vikings have is Kirk Cousins. I think he's an absolute dork, first of all. He can't win big games. He just can't. You look at his stats against teams that are 500 and above, he's got like three wins in his career. When it comes to the big game, he cannot perform. Should the Vikings abandon Kirk Cousins? I mean, you'd love to, but they don't have a QB two either. So there's a second problem. Like even now you're, yeah, I mean, right. Like I think they're committed to giving Kirk a shot again. And again, that's because Kevin O'Connell, much like Bill Guerin did with his team, right? Kevin O'Connell, I think is coming in, letting everybody get a fair shot. We'll see what Kirk Cousins can do. Um, you know, but the, the conversation, I mean, I was at training camp today and Kirk Cousins threw an interception on this first round out. So it's like, and again, it's training camp and it was a joint practice with the 49ers and whatever, but it's still like, nobody trusts him. I don't think anybody trusts him. And and he's a very polarizing figure here in Minnesota. Um, but again, they don't have a backup. I think Kellen Mond and Sean Mannion, neither of them is a strong QB too. Do you go out and make a move? That would be great. But I mean, even your free agents that are available aren't super fantastic. So I don't know what the Vikings need to do. And they have a lot of money invested in Kirk. And you have your very strong Kirk lovers and you have your very strong Kirk haters. There's literally no in between with Kirk Cousins. And I agree. He's a dork. He's just a straight up dork. Um, But yeah, I mean, quarterback is it's a problem. I mean, luckily you have Delvin Cook who can run the ball. And again, I think Justin Jefferson can catch anything, even if it's a terrible pass from Kirk Cousins. So they might be okay to survive, but I, I'm sure Kevin O'Connell will be quick to cut ties or look to make moves um, should he need to after the first couple games or two. I want to know if you think I'm crazy. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Kirk Cousins had a career year last year, yeah, and they still only went, what, eight and nine we talked about? He is absolutely a top 15 quarterback for me. I'm going to release my top 15 later today. You can't think of 15 quarterbacks who are better than Kirk Cousins statistically, you can argue that like Trevor Lawrence has a higher ceiling or Justin Fields has a higher ceiling. Certainly, of course. But Kirk Cousins would be the greatest quarterback in Chicago Bears history statistically, (laughs) and it would not be close. The Bears have never had a 4,000-yard passer in their 100 years of existence, and I get so frustrated when I hear Bears fans chirping Kirk Cousins, who's the second-best quarterback in the division by far. The Detroit Lions have the best offensive line in the division, and they're going to come in dead last. Bakhtiari's not there to protect Aaron Rodgers. He's going to be under pressure all season long. It wouldn't shock me if he breaks his clavicle again, and he has nobody to throw to. The Minnesota uh, Vikings offense can absolutely outscore, and their defense is always okay. They can outscore their opponents this season, I believe. I want to know. You you already think I'm crazy, but I mean. Oh, for the love of salmon sandwiches. I mean, you're exactly like every Kirk lover. That's what they'll say. Well, his stats are just the best. But 
you go back and it goes back to my Cam Talbot thing. Like that doesn't tell the whole story of what Kirk Cousins can do, right? Like I go back, Kirk Cousins' best year in a Vikings uniform was like 2017, where it was easily one of his worst stats lines, but it was his best performance by far. And it was the best all-around team performance. Um, still didn't get them to that promised land, but they did. That was just one of their best seasons. And that was the best season I saw out of Kirk. I just, you can't trust him. You can't trust him under pressure. And again, I am curious and I will give him a shot under O'Connell because Zimmer never gave Kirk the confidence that he needed. He didn't give any of the offense the confidence because Zimmer is a very defensive first player, right? Or coach, excuse me. He's the defensive coordinator. He's top at this. And that's why Vikings defense is always good. So maybe under O'Connell, Kirk can thrive. And, you know, if he can't, then I do say he's out. Like, if you can't figure it out under this offense, because we all saw what the Rams can do under Kevin O'Connell, it'd be interesting to see if that same thing can happen uh, with Kirk. But I just, you can't, I can't trust him. And it's his face. It's a smug looking face. I just can't. <laughs> it is. It's before something before about him. Before yeah. you go, Frank, I want it on record. I want Jesse to know I am not a Kirk Cousins lover. He is a dork. <laughs> there is no doubt. Like, I'm not saying we're going to go win the Super Bowl with him, but I do think you have to lock into a better quarterback. Quarterback. You can't yes. just go get a better quarterback. You just can't. There's Fair nobody it. out there that they can go get. It takes years to develop, guys. You have to luck into Patrick Mahomes falling to you at 10th overall or mm-hmm. overdrafting Justin Herbert and somehow being right about it. Like that that is just the way of the NFL. You don't just go get a quarterback. That's when Jay Cutler was here. People <laughs> are like, we need to trade for a better who? Who was gonna be better than Jay Cutler at that point in time? Yes, he sucked, but you just don't go get someone better than Jay Cutler it's off true. the whim. You don't just go get someone better than Kirk Cousins off the whim. You just don't go get a number one center, right? Like, that's not. Yeah, yeah. like the Minnesota Wild. You know, all you guys need is a number one center. It'll be easy. I'm not saying they're going to get somebody like. Trade for Sidney Crosby. It'll be fun. I'm not saying they're going to get somebody like Patrick Mahomes right off the rip, right? I mean, come on. Let's be realistic. But what does a top 15 quarterback get you? Doesn't get you into the playoffs. So, I mean, it's just. No, it's just. I, I agree with Jesse. I just don't trust the guy. He's always got a smug look. Like, does he enjoy playing for the Vikings? You like that? Yeah, he loves it. Yeah, I mean, come on. I just don't (laughs) think that they have a shot of winning a championship with him in a Vikings uniform. Yeah. And let's be be honest. We're probably not going to see them win with Kirk Cousins. It's not going to come till after they ditch him. Mm -hmm. But perhaps one of the other biggest, I would say, flaws. (laughs) Yeah, look at him. Come on. (laughs) Can't even keep his head up. One of the other biggest flaws that this Vikings team has has to be their um, secondary and their offensive line. It just, it has been probably their Achilles heel lately. Mm -hmm. Is there, do you think it will be better this year? Do you think it'll be good enough this year? No. No, I can say that. I mean, you watch Garrett Bradbury, who's their starting center right now, just get plowed in practice by Harrison Phillips. Like, and Harrison Phillips is a big dude, right? Don't get me wrong, but he's just, He's the starting center because he has the most experience and he's better at snapping the ball. But Chris Reed is kind of right there. I mean, but they're still young. Like it's either Bradbury or these young rookies that don't have the experience to play with Kirk. And no, I mean, unfortunately, again, that's that is going to be the Achilles heel because, again, they didn't address it. They have done nothing to address the offensive line. All they had to do was do something about it. And they haven't yet. So, again, I can see. um them getting their hand forced during this year after they, you know, see how it shakes out again. We're one preseason game in it that can't tell you much at all, right? About how the offensive scheme is they're working out their kinks. But I think if you watch the Green Bay game and 
I think that'll be very telling as to if they are going to really need to address the offensive line, or if maybe it is good enough to get them through um, in a pretty weak division too. And conference. I was, that was going to be yeah. my next question. The NFC is it's bad. It's as bad yeah. as it's been. Like the AFC is so good. There's, there's going to be teams better than, you know, teams that make the playoffs in the NFC that mm-hmm. miss in the AFC. And it really, it's just, for me, it's just the Rams. I think the 49ers, if Trey Lance is pretty good, that'll mm-hmm. be really good. And then of course, Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, those are like the three elite teams in the NFC for me right now. The Cardinals could be, we'll see, but like Aaron Rodgers and the Packers and Kirk Cousins yeah. and the Vikings, like there's no one in the a- NFC East that scares me more than the Vikings do. So like, does the conference matter for you at all in terms of that? I mean, I think so. And actually, if you look at the Viking schedule, it's pretty favorable for the Vikings. So they, I mean, I would still love to say, yes, they'll be better than eight, nine, but there's always those weird games, right? There's always, or there's a Monday night football game. And we know Kirk Cousins cannot play on a Monday night football game or Sunday night game. Like he just doesn't do it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely more favorable. So I will say you do have that point, but again, I still see them being second fiddle to green Bay just because they're the little brother. Green Bay is the big brother. And until the Vikings can really quiet that noise, at least they haven't in the past couple of years, I'm just not convinced. And I don't know that Kirk cousins is the Messiah to do such a thing. I'm so glad that I finally have somebody to agree with me on this show. <laughs> oh yeah. Cause nobody's <laughs> taking a crap on me for having that. Take, Frank. Yeah. You're, you're all alone in that one. You're, you're my not back is against the wall yeah, constantly right. against yeah. with the Minnesota Vikings. In December, yeah. Jesse's going to send me a DM on Twitter and go, you know what Vinny? You, you were, were right. right. I, I love, Frankie. I love when these Minnesota teams make me eat my words. Cause they always do. But here's the problem with every Minnesota team, whether it's the wild, whether it's the twins, whether it's the Vikings, I get high on, I'm like, I'll start, my bar is on the ground. And then I'm like, you know what? I believe. And you know what I did this year with wild? I believed right when they went into playoffs and you know what they did? They did exactly what I knew they were going to do. Like there's just, it never fails. Or you have a, a kicker that's going to go wide left after he hasn't missed a field goal all year. We still hurt over that. Like I don't forget these things. They are seared into my brain. So it's just hard to put any faith in them. I mean, until they make, until they win, I mean, the twins, quieted us for a little bit after 91 winning the world series and since then garbage hot steaming garbage that's minnesota sports for you yeah i mean i personally think that the best team in the nfl could be the buffalo bills this year i think josh allen is an absolute stud i think that last year kind of had a bad taste in his mouth i thought they were going to be better last year they were still really good but you face patrick Mahomes in the playoffs you end up going into this shootout type of game and the shootout favors Patrick Mahomes because mm-hmm. he's the better offensively skilled quarterback of the two just by a little bit. Cause I, I really think highly of Josh Allen. I think he's yeah. tremendous. Jesse, where do you, th- who do you think is going to finish top of the NFL? Who's going to be the Super Bowl champs this year? <sighs> That's a terrible question. I haven't even thought about it to be honest <laughs> with you. Like I said, we're, yeah, yeah, no, right. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know. Um, you had her on your side and now you don't. Wait yeah. Now you, it's not that guy. Not that guy. Um, and actually I think the only, I, I can tell you who's going to be bad. I think Seattle's going to be really bad too. Um, really bad. Like I think people are underestimating how bad they're going to be like, yeah, Russell yeah. Wilson's replacement will be drafted in the top five. Well, mm-hmm. what about the Bengals? You... We could go. We could go Bengals, right? Yeah, I kind of like yeah. Cincy. I I can do. I can get behind Cincy for the little bit that I paid attention to them so far. I, yeah, let's go with that. That's a hot take. Cincinnati Bengals. I like that. Yeah, 
they Frank, their one weakness and they got to the Super Bowl was the offensive line and they addressed I it. Love they the addressed it. Yeah. I, I mean I think they're they're very talented too, but I don't know. I don't know. I think normally, they're there too early. They were no but that's why I'm saying normally you don't put stock in a Super Bowl loser. This year just feels different because it feels like they got feels there ahead different. of schedule. It's yeah. not they're not that team on their last stand trying to make the Super Bowl like New England a couple years ago yeah. or mm-hmm. you know the Rams in before they I think Joe Matthew Burrow Matthew. is something, man. I don't know. Yeah. He's something for sure. Yeah, so. He's better. Yeah, see, that's the thing. That's how you get a better quarterback yeah, than Kirk it. Cousins. Yeah. You either get Josh Allen, who was like the fifth quarterback drafted in that draft, and you get lucky enough that he's the best one, or you get the first overall pick and hit on it with Joe mm-hmm. Burrow. Like, yeah. That's well, I still think Trevor Lawrence is gonna be pretty good too. Yeah, I hope so. Trey Lance, him. I think, will be all right too. I yeah. What about Justin Fields? No. Sorry. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I still have high hopes for him. I don't know. Dude, I I we had last year I remember talking to one of my Vikings insiders and he was super high on Justin Fields. Like just loved the heck out of him. And I he wanted him to be like the next thing, but no. Yeah, we'll see what happens. He's he looked okay on Saturday. I'll say that. He looked okay. Go. Him and Darnell Mooney have a rapport. Frank, do you have anything left for Jesse before we let her go after giving us so much of her time being so <laughs> kind with it? I just want to say thank you for being here. Thank you for answering our questions, you know, chatting it up with us. It has been a really, really fun time, and I can't thank you enough. You made this first 40 minutes very enjoyable, (laughs) and it was just a lot of fun. Yeah. Absolutely. Jesse, promote yourself. Promote what you got going on, what's coming up with you with the the social medias and what you got going on. Yeah. Uh, As you mentioned, I just started Vikings coverage, so you'll start seeing that. We've got podcast out on Score North twice a week, Mondays and 30s, talking all things Thursdays, not 30s, Thursdays, talking all things Vikings. Uh, And then before I know it, preseason is going to be here for the NHL. Um, I'm going to be out at the Beauty League still, which is a four-on-four summer league where a bunch of NHL guys play in. Super fun to catch up with them. So check out my social channels for stories there. And uh, yeah, let's go hockey. Let's play some hockey. I'm excited to get the NHL season geared up here in in a short month or two. Is Parisi playing in the Beauty League? He's played in a couple games. He hasn't been there every single week, but he's been there uh, like twice, I think, two or three times. Yeah. I know so. I know. he used to play like every single game and his team was always like one of the top ones, but oh, I want to yeah. get him on the podcast so bad and I have just no way of making that happen. I'll Ooh. chat him up. If I see him uh, the next one, I'll, I'll, I'll say there's this guy who says he's related to you named Vinny, who's a big <laughs> Devils fan. No. Yeah, I mean, tell, tell him that that's, if I have a white whale guest, yeah. It's Zach. I mean, I would Zach? not be okay. into hockey. I would not be into hockey even slightly if yeah. it weren't for him. When he was on that 2009 Devils team and he had like 110 points, and I was like, that guy with that name is that good? And then loving the Wild, and I even cheer for the Islanders when they're not playing the Devils, which is so sacrilege. <laughs> like, you know, ew, I'm rooting for the Islanders for a season. Ugh. We'll see but what we can do. I appreciate it very much, Jesse. We can't thank you enough for coming on. It was our pleasure. And everybody, make sure you follow Jesse on all her socials. You can find them right here on the screen. And we would like to send you to period number two. Thanks. Welcome to period two, where we are so thankful to Jesse for coming on. Frank, what do you think? It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. I finally am happy that I had somebody to back me up on Kirk Cousins. It felt really good. I didn't feel like my back was against the wall this week. Listen, the Minnesota Vikings, when they signed Kirk Cousins, Teddy Bridgewater had like a devastating injury. It was a non-contact injury, right? And they were running out. I Was it Case Keenum? 
who they got to the NFC championship with and then got steamrolled by the Eagles, I'm so. pretty sure. Yeah. And, you know, they had the Minnesota Miracle, which was one of the best that football games. One of the best football games I have ever watched in all my years. It's one of the best sporting events I've ever watched on television. And the guy who effed up and made the mistake for uh, the Saints was Tommy Lee Lewis, who went to Northern Illinois University, watched every single one of his uh, college football games. But, I mean, damn, the Minnesota Miracle digs. Who is part of that great uh, Buffalo Bills team that we'll see all season long? And the quarterbacks ahead of Kirk Cousins on my top 15 list, you'll see they're all ex they're all better, no doubt. And there are guys who aren't on the list who have a way higher ceiling, could win Super Bowls, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Trey Lance. But – you have to lock into guys being better than that than a guy like Kirk Cousins. And so we'll see what happens. I know it's gonna be it's gonna be a battle this season with me and you with the Minnesota Vikings. It kind of reminds me of the uh, Matthew Stafford battle. Oh yeah. Yes. And now we're in a new era. Yes. Well, last year we went one and one against each other in a quarterback battle or a team battle. Uh-huh. Uh, I guess I went two and one because you were wrong about the 49ers too. And now we got, yeah, and now but we I got. But I was dead wrong about the Cleveland Browns. So this year we have our battles are the Denver the, Broncos. The Denver Broncos, yep. Kirk Cousins. Yeah, not Kirk Cousins. Well, the Vikings in general. The Vikings. But he's going to be the quarterback most likely of the Vikings the whole season. Yes. So. If he gets hurt, though, they're done. Do we agree on that? Oh, yeah. If he, I, he's good absolutely. Enough, I he, think they're done with them, so without them, it's... <laughs> yeah, he's good enough where they can be the second-place team in the NFC North at minimum. He gets hurt, though. You never know what Justin Fields and company does against them. I still think Fields is going to be a great quarterback. So do I. I so can't I. just take the one season just and make that how his the rest of his career is going to go. Well, no, way. no, no one's going to shame you. No one's shaming you for thinking the Matt Nagy, Justin Fields, Andy Dalton, weird crap year is nobody's going to poo-poo on you for putting a little amount of stock on that at all. But a lot of people shame Justin Fields and say, oh, he's not the quarterback that everybody thought. But you don't take that one year into consideration. I mean, you look at a lot of guys early on in their career over any sport, NBA, NHL, MLB, NFL, and like some of the top guys – never had the greatest rookie year. And then just as you progress and you get your feet wet in the NFL and NHL or wherever you're playing, it, it, you get progressively better because you're used to that skill gap that you make that jump. So I'm not out on Justin Fields. I think Justin Fields could still be that quarterback that everybody thought they would be when they drafted him. But we'll see how this year goes. And I, I hope I'm, I'm hope I'm right. <laughs> I hope they do good this year. Yeah, I totally hope you're right too. Um, we'll get to some more quarterback talk in period number three, but one thing I wanted to talk to you about here was really quick. The world junior quarterfinals are about to begin. Um, Finland's going to play Germany. I believe they already played. Um, I don't necessarily know the result of that yet, but Canada, Switzerland tonight, United States versus Czech. Yep. Of course, guys like, uh, Luke Hughes and, um, what's his name, Mason McTavish for Canada, who's the Anaheim Ducks prospect, and defenseman Simone Evanson from the Detroit Red Wings. All these guys are making extreme um, cases to, you know, not be NHL players necessarily this year, but in the coming years. Um, what's your takeaway from this whole thing? Well, the U.S. are the defending champs, right? Yes. And they're qualifying or they're prelim round to get here. They went like they've outscored their opponents 22 to 4. 
they've just been ridiculous. And on the Canadian side of things, Connor Bedard, man, five goals, four assists in his last two games. Two games. Dude's got nine points. Dude, and that could be the future of the Blackhawks right there. He he very well could be. I, I mean, it's been great to follow. Uh, the Finland and Germany and Sweden Latvia, I, I really don't know much about, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I haven't been following them. But I'm telling you, Canada and Bedard and, and this USA team, could they play each other in the, the championship? Yeah. They yes. could. They're not in the same side, right? I don't believe so. Okay, so – that's where I'm leaning towards that it's going to be Canada, US, just by the way these uh, these teams have been meshing so far. But I, it, I, the champs might be dethroned this year, just based off the way of Bedard's performance. Canada may win it all. I don't know. Yeah, no, I totally think uh, Canada is going to win it all. I thought Canada was going to win it all in 2021, also, and they called that the greatest World Juniors roster ever assembled in 2021, Canada. And they steamrolled every team they played in the qualifying rounds and the playoff rounds. And then they get to Team USA in the championship. And they just kind of like play old style New Jersey Devils, trap the neutral zone type of hockey and win the game two to nothing. (laughs) And like it was one of the greatest upsets in world junior history when USA beat Canada in 2021. So in 2022, I think the U.S. would need to pull off a similar type of miracle. Why does every time the U.S. win a a, a hockey tournament, it's a miracle? I, it's crazy to me, but it's just the way it is. And I think they're capable. Like if Luke Hughes were to go off in a game against Canada, it wouldn't shock me at all. But this Bedard, man, I don't care what anyone says. I'm fully get the Blackhawks to as worst as like as bad as possible. Like you can trade Kane. And then freaking get him back in the offseason to come play with Bedard and become the greatest Blackhawk ever. Having Kane on this team this year lowers your chance of getting this guy for the next decade plus. Get rid of him. You could bring him back. Kane, right. the teams are listening. Retain. Get him back. Seth Jones, retain. Get him like whatever you have to do to get Bedard or the best chance at getting Bedard. I'm sorry. He I think unbelievable. I think if Kane leaves, though, he's gone. He's not coming back. That's my biggest fear. They're not going to bring him back. Once he's gone, that's it. But if you get Bedard, is it worth it? Is it worth it for three more years of Kane being elite to get Bedard, who might be like in that conversation with Jack Hughes and Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews? Well, right now, I think Connor Bedard is the, or uh, yeah, Connor Bedard. Connor Bedard? Connor Bedard, yeah. Why does it not sound right to me? I don't know. Because every kid's damn name is Connor if they're born in. Uh, on uh, 2003 or later. They're right now, I think Connor Bedard is the Connor McDavid of the World Junior Tournament. He's just yeah. going off. It's yeah. just without question. I, I mean, I'd love to see him in a Blackhawks uniform, but we'll we'll see how the year goes. I think even with Kane, they have a chance to win him. I mean, they're gonna they're predicted to be one of the worst teams already. So, I mean, I just imagine if you have Kane and Bedard, yeah, it's like the whole franchise could get turned around in a couple of years. I couldn't agree more. The problem for me is if Kane's not coming back after this year anyway, why ruin your chances at Bedard? Be- like, that's my fear. My it's fear different. is they keep Kane this year. He scores 40 goals, has 95 points. They come in fourth to worst, and they end up with the third overall pick because the team that came in last won the lottery. Like, Which makes you think that if they don't trade him, maybe he is coming back. Like, 
the next year. Maybe they've been in talks and we just don't know it. And Yeah, okay, so then Kyle Davidson has to ask himself, would he rather have Kane for the next five years or Bedard for the next ten? But what if you have both? They could have both. Uh, yes, I get that. But there's a chance you end up with one or the other. And there's a small chance you end up with neither, which is just That's real nightmare fuel. That's real nightmare fuel. But Mitchkov and Fantilli are also sick. So the Blackhawks, all likelihood, will get a great prospect in the 2023 NHL draft because they are going to be a bottom three team in my estimation. If you trade Kane and you're without Kane and you don't win the lottery and you don't get Bedard, that adds a couple extra years to this rebuild. And I don't think that's what the Blackhawks want right now. A lot of fans are upset that they're going through a rebuild at all. And I think the risk of trading Kane and still not getting Bedard is not worth the reward. There's nothing rewarding about it getting neither. So I think that's something that the Blackhawks have to take into consideration. And I think you just roll the dice and hope you land both, honestly. I rather I rather roll the dice and try to land both than take the risk in getting none. What if Bedard or what if Fantilli is as good as Jack Eichel? It's possible. Or Leon Dreisidel. It's possible. Like he might not be Connor McDavid, like Bedard maybe, or Jack Hughes. But like, what if he's Nico Heischer? What if he's Jonathan Taves? Okay, all these things are possible. Fantilli and Mitchkov are awesome. They are really good players. And if, if I was a betting man, which sometimes I am, been on a little bit of a hiatus lately, Bedard, Mitchkov, Fantilli are one of those three Chicago Blackhawks after the June draft, my guess. Unless unless a prospect like Heischer or like Slavkovsky come out of nowhere and dominate all season long with their club and have 10 points in seven World Juniors games next uh, January and they really raise their stock, which is it's possible every year. There could be a guy we don't even know his name yet, and that guy goes second or third overall. But, like, I would think one of those three plays for the Blackhawks after the season. You would think. Game. You would think. Yeah. I mean, you traded to Brinkett. You traded Doc. They were going to trade one of, if not two of, McCabe, Stillman, Murphy. There's no doubt in my mind one of those, one or two of those three are gone, maybe even by training camp. I don't think they're going to get rid of Murphy. Maybe not. There's just no point to keep him. None. He's always hurt. He's good. He's great. Like maybe the Minnesota Wild trade for him. That you know, that's something I brought up to Jesse. Maybe a team like the Pittsburgh Penguins go after him, or the Washington Capitals would be a great fit. Like, yeah, I, I just think they could get stuff for these guys for the future. And then you have Nazar, you have Korchinski, you have um, what's his name made his debut this year, Reichel, Kirby Reichel. You know, maybe, maybe to bring it resigns back. Like there are so many possibilities down the line that you keep gaining these future assets for, but I got my eye on Bedard in these world junior championships. And I agree with yeah, you completely. He's, he's been incredible, man. He is the Connor McDavid of the world juniors right now. Yeah. He could be a top 10 player in the NHL one day. I believe it. And speaking of top 10 players, there are a lot of them here that were named by the NHL network as the top 20 centers in the NHL. 
And I want to know your thoughts on this list. We'll start from the back. Number 20 is Robert Thomas of the St. Louis Blues. Number 19 is Elias Pettersson of the Vancouver Canucks. Number 18 is Evgeny Malkin of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Number 17 is Jack Hughes of the New Jersey Devils. And number 16 is Jack Eichel of the Vegas Golden Knights. Frank, your reaction to 20 through 16? Anybody you would bump out? Anybody you'd pump higher? What's up? Well, am I on glue? Because I thought I, – I looked at this list, and I swear I thought Malkin was number 8 and not 18. No, he's 18. And I, I thought – I got a different version of the list up on my phone right now. And well, then maybe I tweaked because then everything that I had thought I knew about this list it may be a little off. Because um, I thought Eichel was a little higher too on the list. I thought he was in the top 10. No. And don't forget, this is based on they. This is what they think right now, and I'm sure last year is what mostly influences this list and projections for this upcoming year. Well, then maybe I looked at a list from a previous year. I don't know. But. That could be. Evgeny Malkin's definitely been higher than 18 in his career. He's been two before. So from from this list right here, um, I like it. I think Jack Eichel could be a little bit higher. I, I mean, I didn't get enough credit because he was injured, obviously. Uh, I think he's more than top 16. He's definitely a top 15 at least center, maybe even top 10. I think he's going to prove it. And when this list comes out next year, just his stats this year being on the Vegas Golden Knights and the team that they're going to have, I think he's going to be way higher than 16. As far as everything else, Evgeny Malkin, who I thought was 8, who is apparently 18, is I, I think – at this point in his career, top 20 is fair. He's definitely regressed a little bit. So, I, I mean, I, I kind of like everything that I see here. You know, Frank, I couldn't, agree, I couldn't agree with you more, actually, on everything you said. I like seeing Robert Thomas getting love. I absolutely love seeing Robert Thomas getting love. We met his grandparents and his folks when he was drafted. Yeah. Really nice people. Happy for them. Um, happy to see him in the top 20. That's outstanding. Good for you, Robert Thomas. I'd like to see someone like Nico Hishier crawl up and take that number 20 spot eventually one day. I think it's possible, but right now we'll just leave it at Robert Thomas. Pedersen up and down with his offense, but we all know the skills that he possesses. Um, Evgeny Malkin, to me, being in the top 20 is a great indictment of him because he wouldn't even sniff this list the last two years because of injuries and inconsistencies. But we know that Evgeny Malkin is one of the 20 greatest players to ever lace up NHL skates, and he'll walk into the Hall of Fame. He'll get a statue in Pittsburgh. 71 will be retired in Pittsburgh, and he's one of the greatest Russian players who ever played the game of hockey. So I appreciate seeing him in the top 20. I would actually probably put him a little bit higher if it were me, but the one I agree with you completely, Jack Eichel of the Vegas Golden Knights. Looking at this list, and we'll go down the list, I would put him at number nine. And the the guys that are listed ahead of him, one through eight, I would rather than Jack Eichel right at this current juncture. But injuries and the trade and the neck surgery, that has Eichel bumped down a little bit. But I'm happy that he still was able to be given the respect. And Vegas is going to be one of the best teams in the NHL this year, in my estimation. And Jack Eichel is going to lead the way. Awesome. You couldn't have said it better. Um, so let's do 15 through 10. At number 15, we have Ryan O'Reilly of the St. Louis Blues. So um, two St. Louis Blues make the list. 
Nazem Kadri, who's listed as a free agent, but we do know he's probably going to end up sticking to signing with the New York Islanders. We reported last week that he was signing with the New York Islanders, and the Islanders never confirmed it yet, but he, he's going to be on the Islanders, right? Like mm-hmm. That's just, to me, a foregone conclusion. Elias Lindholm of the Calgary Flames, outstanding season. The best line in the NHL last season was centered by Elias Lindholm last season with uh, Matthew Kachuk and Johnny Goudreau, who are both gone from the Calgary Flames, but Lindholm will play with Jonathan Huberto, and you figure those two together are going to make absolute hockey magic. JT Miller was the leading scorer of the Vancouver Canucks. He was the leading scorer of any player in the NHL last season that did not make the playoffs. He just edged out Patrick Kane for that title. And so getting number 12 on the list, good for him. I still would rather Jack Eichel than all these guys, but Braden Point rounding out the you know, the 11 through 20 uh, Tampa Bay lightning. He's probably like the fourth or fifth player, best player on the Tampa Bay lightning. And that is saying something because he is magnificent injuries kept him out of the playoffs. for the most part, everyone does will forever wonder how Colorado would have fared or how Tampa Bay would have fared against Colorado. If Braden point was healthy for the entire series. I do think that would have made a difference. Colorado might've still won. I just don't think it would have been as, like obvious that they were going to win. Braden Point is that impactful of a player. So 15 through 11, your reactions. Yeah, so with Braden Point at 11, and he was plagued with some injuries this season, just as Jack Eichel was, and I'm surprised that Braden Point's 11. I think he can make his way a little further down. Um, I mean, I'm sure the respect and, you know, the stigma that he has being on the Lightning has something to do with a little bit of his ranking. Um then you move JT Miller. Yeah, 12's fine. Elias Lindholm, 13. I'm glad that Nazim Kadri is in the top 15. I'm a big fan of Kadri, so I'm glad he got the respect he deserved by being here. Like you said, he's probably going to sign with the New York Islanders. Be shocked if he didn't. Ryan O'Reilly, I don't know how I feel about 15. I don't know. I, I just don't know. Is it a perfect fit? Should he be moved up? Should he be moved down? Me personally, I think maybe he should be a little bit lower, but I know he's a great player, but I just, I don't know. It's just, I guess when you take into consideration all the centers in the league and you're not doing it by every position, but just the centers, I guess Ryan O'Reilly would have to be in the top 15, maybe, but maybe he's in the, from 16 to 20 for me. I don't know. Top 15 just seems like a little bit stretched for me. I think, uh, like I said, I would have had Eichel over him. Um so, yeah, I don't know how I feel about it. It's like 15 through 11 is really weird for me. I don't know. Plus, I guess I wasn't looking at the same list, so I have nothing to compare it with. I don't know who to expect for these next 10 because, like, my list's all messed up. Yeah, that's totally fair. I understand the critiques of Ryan O'Reilly being there at number 15, but he is diet Patrice Bergeron, right? Like, they play the exact same game. Bergeron has just been a little bit better throughout his years. But he's a selkie type of forward that can play a extremely high level defensive two-way game while contributing a crap ton of points to his team so having ryan o'reilly and robert thomas down the middle for the st louis blues it's no wonder that they've won a stanley cup together and continue to compete for the cup year in and year out remain one of the best teams in the nhl so i'm with you on that i would take eichel over all these guys but outside of that they are all top 20 centers i think we can agree on that yeah absolutely i just don't agree with the positioning of course. And then, of course, 10 through 6 is a very interesting list. I think there are a couple guys who can be angled 
in different ways. Of course, Mika Zabanajad of the New York Rangers comes in at number 10. Highly, highly, highly skilled center. Plays with Artemi Panarin. He helps a bunch of players on that team get the most out of themselves. He's a gritty player that can play a hard-nosed, two-way style game but also has an outstanding ability to put the puck in the net playing him and Panarin kind of reverse roles when it comes to their offensive games. Panarin runs a line like a center and Zabanajad runs a line like a winger, except Zabanajad is much better two way and he wins faceoffs and he scores lots of goals. So he's a very unique type of center, a player that is definitely a winning player in the NHL. Number nine is Sebastian Ajo of the Carolina Hurricanes. Man, Sebastian Ajo is just so good, and the Carolina Hurricanes are so good. He's probably one of the most underrated players in the NHL. You know, with Svechnikov and Ajo, and or Ajo is the guy. Tara Vinen, it's just a team loaded with talent up front. They have uh, Kat Koniemi up front as well. They lost Nino Niederreiter this season, but they're still going to be a force. I think they got some really good players over there. They're going to have Brent Burns on the team this year. It's going to help the forwards move the puck up a lot. It's Carolina is an exciting team and Sebastian Ajo is there to lead the way. Number eight is Patrice Bergeron, who has been one of the best players in the NHL for the last two decades, right? I took a lot of flack from the two guys who have helped me host this show over the years, Joey Parisi and Frankie Mueller for saying that I think Alexander Barkov is a top five player in the NHL, right? Or not a top five player. He is a player I would draft in the top five if I were starting a team from scratch, is what I said. And I still stand by that. And I believe a good a good argument for that is in 2005, I would have said the same thing about Patrice Bergeron, even though he wasn't as offensively gifted as, say, Zach Parisi or Patrick Kane or guys like that. But I would still rather Bergeron because I think you can build a team around him in a way that helps you win the Stanley Cup, and it has been proven to be true for Bergeron. He's one of the best players ever. Steven Stamkos comes in at number seven with the Tampa Bay Lightning. I'm so happy for Steven Stamkos. He's healthy. He's playing well. The early parts of his career were outstanding when he scored 60 goals, but then he dealt with tremendous injury and missed a couple years with the blood clot. And, of course, the broken leg. We all remember that fiasco against the Boston Bruins on Veterans Day, if I'm recalling correctly. Stamkos has having had one of those years this year that cemented him as a Hall of Famer statue-type player for the Tampa Bay Lightning. And then, of course, Alexander Barkov, the guy I just alluded to, truly developed into one of the best players in the NHL on one of the best teams in the NHL. He uh, is the number six guy in the league. So, Frank, your reaction to 10 through 6? Outstanding outstanding uh, little explanation there for the top six through 10 by VP. Um, Mika Zibinijad definitely proved himself last season that he had a great performance. I think right now, if this list is based off right now, I think it's very fair to have him at 10. Um, the New York Rangers, you know, they were just, they were doing really good last year with Shesterkin and that. Mika Zabinijad kind of helped to that. I really like the way he performed. I don't mind seeing him at number 10. At number 9, Sebastian Ajo for the Carolina Hurricanes. I'm a big Ajo fan. I really like him. He's one of my favorite players on the Hurricanes. Um, he's another guy who just performs, performs, performs. Definitely would love him on my team. Number 9 to me is fair enough for him. Then you get into Patrice Bergeron, who I have always been a huge fan of Patrice Bergeron. He's been my favorite Bruin on or he's been my favorite player on the Bruins for a long time. However, right now, 
I don't know if he should be number eight, honestly. Over a career, I know he is one of the best centers to ever play in the NHL. He's great at faceoffs. He's a great two-way player. Patrice Bergeron is legendary in the NHL. Like I said, he's one of the best two-way defense or two-way forward centermen in the league. Um, I, I just I really have a lot of respect for him, but I I think this is going to be the, his last year potentially in the NHL. Ultimately, father time stops for no one. I just don't think he's going to perform like a top eight center in the league. Maybe moved him down to 10, maybe put Zabinjad at 11, or just, you know, flip him a little bit and put Bergeron at 10, Zabinjad 9, Aho at 8. I don't know. He's getting the respect for his career, and obviously we know what he's capable of. But either way, I do think Bergeron is a top 10 center still at this point. Seven, Steven Stamkos. He's another guy I just love. I really love Steven Stamkos. Um, I think what he's done for the Tampa Bay Lightning organization definitely makes him worthy of being a top seven center in the National Hockey League. Without Steven Stamkos on the Lightning, things may be a lot different for the organization. And while he has had a lot of injuries over his career that has, you know, dampened the fan base to seeing what he could do. And a lot of the fans of the NHL, what he can do, we know what he can do. He doesn't need to be there for us to know what his caliber is. Uh, I'm, I'm loving Stamkos at number seven and Barkov. The, the list I saw, so it must've been last year. Barkov was out of the top 10 and I was like, this is, this is ridiculous. He's definitely should be in the top 10. Six is perfect because I have a feeling I know who these top five centers are going to be. Alexander Barkov, one of the crucial pieces on this Florida Panthers team now that Huberto is out of there. If the Florida Panthers want to get back to winning ways this season, Alexander Barkov is going to have to be a huge part of that. I think it's he's great where he's at. And, yeah, that's what I got for you. And here we go, ladies and gentlemen, the top five. Starting out at number five, from the Pittsburgh Penguins, Sidney Crosby. He was number one on this list for a very, very, very long time. He basically went from being number one to number five in one season, I would say. And the fact that he's still number five just points to his greatness. He had a magnificent season for the Pittsburgh Penguins this season. They were one of the best teams in the NHL. Again, they're going to be one of the best teams in the NHL. Again, this season. And Sidney Crosby, their captain, their best player, their catalyst, their one of the most outstanding players in NHL history. You know, he rounds out the top five. I also think he's on the Mount Rushmore of NHL players all time at this point. I love me some Gordie Howe. I never got to watch him play, but I think if I'm taking a career and who do I want to build my team around from the start of their career, start to finish? I'm taking Sidney Crosby in the top four. The or yeah, the only ones I would consider higher. Bobby Orr, Mario Lemieux, and uh, Wayne Gretzky, of course. And Sidney Crosby, to me, is one of the ultimate champions. Every player in the league should wish they can get to the apex that Sidney Crosby has reached. He's the all-time greatest active player, and I'm so happy to see that he's still in the top five, still one of the best players in the NHL. I will always be a huge Sidney Crosby guy. Number four, Leon Dreisaitl, one of the best players in the NHL now. When he was signed by the Edmonton Oilers to his eight-point whatever, 
you know, million dollar extension before he truly had his breakout year. People were giving them crap, but somebody in Edmonton knew what they were doing because he is legitimately one of the best players in the NHL right now. He's the second best player on his team, which speaks volumes about the Edmonton Oilers because he's won a Hart Trophy. He's won the Rocket Richard. He's been one of the greatest players in the league. He's probably the second best goal scorer in the NHL today, if not third best. I know Alexander Ovechkin is going to give Leon Dreisaitl and then one of these other centers a run for their money, of course, but Ovechkin's a winger, so we'll get to him on another list. But Leon Dreisaitl has been nothing short of sensational. He can score 50. He can. He's really the only player in the NHL capable of 50-50, okay? Uh, center at number two there might be able to be a 50-50 guy, but to me, the true 50-50 man in the NHL is Leon Dreisaitl, and he deserves a tremendous amount of credit. Man, number three, Nathan McKinnon. The fact that he's number three on this list speaks volumes about the two guys ahead of him because he is truly one of the best players the NHL has seen in a long time. And he kind of... If you have a player on your favorite team that started as, you know, a guy who the first couple years of their career got 40 points, 50 points, 50 points, 60 points, and then he exploded for that huge 99 point season that one year. And he's proof that you just got to let your stars develop and not everybody's going to be Sidney Crosby or Alexander Ovechkin and have their hundred point season in the rookie year. You know, the two guys who are one and two on this list had seasons like that in their rookie years as well. But Nathan McKinnon took time to develop and the avalanche they're reaping the benefits of it. Now he's one of the three best players in the league. I think the top three centers are the three best players in the NHL. And then at number four, I would put a defenseman. I think you know who, also is a teammate of Nathan McKinnon, but we'll get to that list later on in the upcoming weeks. But man, Stanley Cup champion, just an outstanding player. He's going to go to the Hall of Fame. Nathan McKinnon, props to you for getting up to number three on this list. And number two on this list had an argument throughout the season for number one in terms of true impact. He's the Hart Trophy winner as the league's most valuable player for what he did this season. Austin Matthews of the Toronto Maple Leafs was the first player to score 60 goals in a long time. I believe it was Steven Stamkos who was the last player to score 60 goals before Matthews. And the way he just elevated his game during the regular season was outstanding. The Leafs were one of the best teams in the NHL. And then the playoffs rolled around and people were like, Oh, Austin Matthews, he's got to show up in the playoffs, you know? And then the, then we'll be able to dissect the Toronto Maple Leafs and what their actual problems are. If he actually shows up, well, guess what? They lost in the first round to the eventual Eastern Conference champions, Tampa Bay Lightning, and Matthews came to play in the playoffs. He was sensational the entire seven-game series. He is not the reason they lost. And if they would have played against anybody else with Matthews playing like that, they might have swept them. And the Tampa Bay Lightning are just that good. Austin Matthews is well-deserving of this number two spot. Number one on this list will join Sidney Crosby one day on the all-time NHL greatest players list, Connor McDavid. Very few players can play under 600 NHL games and be a Hall of Famer already in the mind of Vinny Parisi, and that is Connor McDavid. He is one of the most glorious athletes playing a sport right now in the world. I'm talking any sport. Okay, Shohei Otani, Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, Connor McDavid, right? Those are the guys. LeBron James, who we'll get to in the third period, of course. Those of you who know what I'm talking about know what I'm talking about. But McDavid is just unbelievable. 
the way he skates. He's the fastest player with the puck who ever lived. He gets faster when he has the puck somehow, which makes him a true alien, and he's well-deserving of number one on this list. He is the best player in the NHL and one of the best players we have ever, ever seen. Yeah, you know, um, if you take a look at the top five, four through one is the current generation of players of who the best are. And Sidney Sidney Crosby is at five. He is the best player of the previous generation, as people would say, or one of the best centers of the previous generation. So I think right now where we're standing, basing this list, I think five is absolutely perfect to have Sidney Crosby there. Because then you got guys like Dreisaitl, who's just a scoring machine, him and the McDavid tandem on Edmonton. I mean, I've seen all season last year what Dreisaitl's capable of, even when he played the Blackhawks. I mean, it's just hard to shut that man down. Then you got guys like Nathan McKinnon, super fast, super silky smooth with his hands. Love the way that he has developed in his career. The Colorado Avalanche desperately need him. They're lucky to have a guy like him. And then you got Mr. 60 goals himself, Austin Matthews who, Vin, you were correct, it was Steven Stamkos was the last man to score 60 goals. Um, yeah, Austin Matthews, nothing against him. I just don't think – I just think the Toronto Maple Leafs are cursed, but he's going to do everything in his power to do what he has to do to make sure that they get back to winning ways and eventually get a Stanley Cup in Toronto. But, yeah, Austin Matthews and Connor McDavid are no doubt the two best centers in the league. I think uh, that's very, very, very hard to argue against. I could see an argument for McKinnon being number two, but the numbers that Matthew puts up, I think, has to be. He has to be number two um, by, a, by a very fair margin, I would say. And obviously, this can't be argued. Connor McDavid's the best center in the National Hockey League, hands down. Dude puts up over 100 points every year. He breaks the century mark. Um, it's just it's absolutely incredible to see what we witnessed from Connor McDavid. Um, you know, when he was drafted in 2015, you hope guys like him don't turn out to be busts with all the potentials, right? You hear Connor Bedard is, could be a player of Connor McDavid's caliber and you just hope he doesn't turn out to be a bust. And I remember exactly where I was when I saw Connor McDavid, uh, being, being drafted and I'm glad he didn't turn out to be that bust. And, you know, we'll see when he decides to win a Stanley cup, um, but, yeah, I don't know. It's It's been really, really fun to watch him skate out there on the ice. He's one of the fastest guys with the puck, if not the fastest guy when he has the puck on his stick. I mean, you just see these highlights right here, burning and turning defensemen forwards. Just absolutely incredible. And uh, he's going to be the best center in the NHL for a very long time, I would say. I'm trying to think of who could dethrone him active. I, I, I don't think the player that dethrones him is in the league yet. Could be Bedard. It could maybe. be Bedard. Maybe. Maybe there's a year where McDavid gets hurt and Matthews scores 65 goals and they put Matthews one and McDavid two. I think there was a year there was a year someone went ahead of Crosby and Crosby was two. It might have been it wasn't McDavid. It was there was a year where Stamkos might have had it at number one. Maybe the year Crosby. he scored 60. Yeah, and like maybe like and Crosby was hurt, he had the concussions, like if that's the only way I see Matthews or McKinnon jumping McDavid for a year and then McDavid will come back healthy, score 120 points and be right back at number one, like Jack Hughes maybe, maybe could be in the top five. Like Leon Dreisaitl could be that guy. Like, I don't know. I think Hughes 
Hughes has the highest. Hughes and Eichel, the two Jacks, have the highest potential to climb into the top eight of this list, in my opinion. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I agree. I think Eichel should have been higher than 16. Uh, it was kind of like a disrespect to him in a way that he wasn't a little bit higher because we know how good he is. And I, I think that injuries shouldn't really plague your potential. That's why I was a little surprised that Braden Point was that high because I think I would rather Jack Eichel on my team personally. But I would too. But I, would too. Um, I love Braden Point. He's and he was injured center. too, though. He's a top 20 center. He was injured in the playoffs, though. When it's more crucial. Yeah. I, Eichel, Eichel is more of a point-per-game type of guy, in my opinion, than Braden Point. I think Braden Point's probably a better playmaker, but Eichel's a better shooter. But the overall better player, to me, probably goes to um, Eichel. Braden Point's more clutch than Eichel, as we know it right now. That could change. We've never seen Eichel in the playoffs. Right. All those years in Buffalo, no playoffs, goes to Vegas. They miss by a couple points. Okay, we'll see what happens with Eichel in the playoffs this coming off se- or this coming season because I believe Vegas will make it with relative ease if everybody stays healthy. Um, Eichel was amazing in the Bean Pot. He was amazing in the Frozen Four. Like Eichel knows how to play big games. We've seen it in his college career. Yep. Can he bring it to the NHL playoffs? We will see. Um, Frank, really quick, I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on something. Vegas might be one of them. Are they your team from the Western Conference that missed the playoffs last year that you believe will for sure be in the playoffs this year? Yeah. Because okay. I was looking at, I was breaking it down by division and there was nobody in the Central, like the Blackhawks, Jets, Coyotes. Um, yeah, nobody from the Central is going to make it. No. The only team that could surprise for me, Winnipeg. If Hellebuck plays well and Shifley has a 100-point season, which is possible. Winnipeg's the only one with, like, an outside chance for me. But, yeah, I'm with you on Vegas. But I I think the chalk answer is Vegas because, I mean, mean, they got – not only are they going to have Jack Eichel for a full season, but don't forget they got Bruce – Brucey. They got Bruce Cassidy coming to town, and I think he's just going to help out this team so much. I really like Bruce Cassidy. Um, I heard that he actually didn't have the best relationships with some of the players in Boston, which was kind of a surprise to me. Um, but I think he'll mesh well with Vegas, and I know Vegas has the talent, the determination to get back to the playoffs, and I think last year was a little fluky because I, I still thought last year there was a chance they could have made it. They could have made it. That, that game against the Blackhawks might might have been like the dagger at the yeah. end where they lost to them, and like it kind of like took the wind out of their sails. So, yes, I agree with you. Vegas is the chalk answer. Winnipeg and Anaheim are the non-chalk answers. Those are like the hot takey type answers, like the teams that I think could – be playoff teams if they take a step, like someone plays well, like if Pierre-Luc Dubois, Mark Shifley, Blake Wheeler all play well and they get good seasons from, you know, a guy like Hellebuck, then yeah, I think Winnipeg could, you know, surprise some people if Minnesota does take a step back and that salary cap missing Fiala really hurts them more than we thought. I do think they'll be back in the playoffs again once, or they'll be back to being a cup contender once they're able to get their salary cap back in order from the Parisi and Suter stuff. But like, for the next year, where they have e- Suter and Parisi eating five million of the cap, that's like a sixty-point guy they could go mm-hmm. spend it on, right? So, like for this upcoming season, if Winnipeg was a little better than Minnesota, I wouldn't be too surprised. I'm still not banking on it. I still would pick the Wild, but you, so those are my teams in the Eastern Conference. I think Johnny Goudreau's Columbus Blue Jackets and Zach Parisi's New York Islanders are the chalk answers there. Do you see either of those two guys getting in? Is there anybody else in the Eastern Conference that you think becomes a playoff team? 
Yeah, you know what? Um, I'm not going with chalk on this one, um, just because I'm not a, I'm not, I'm not high up on the Islanders as much as you are. I don't know. There's just Say something it. about them. Say it. Well, it. Say I, it. It's Say be, it. It's between two other teams for me. It could be the Devils, but the only thing about the Devils is their goaltending really scares me. They're very talented on offense, but I don't know the way they I saw from their goaltending last year is just I, I don't know, man. That do offense. You leave, do you leave room for the goaltending to surprise you though? Like you just think there's no chance with either guy? No, I think they got to do something. That's the only thing that's really setting me back from them. Um, but the other team who I think is going to be a sleeper and they might not be good right away, but they're a sleeper for sure is the Ottawa senators getting Claude Giroux, uh, Alex, the Cam Talbot. They got to be somewhat better. They can't get worse. Um, but just of how bad they performed last year, just because you get three, these three players doesn't mean it's like, you're going to flip the switch and all automatically get 40 to 50 wins. I don't see that happening, but I think there is a chance, a slight chance that they could become an eighth seed or ninth seed, potentially be right on the bubble and potentially make their way into the playoffs. I agree with you. Um, I am high on the Islanders. That's the only one I'm kind of not with you on. I I do think the Islanders are going to make the playoffs. If it weren't for their brutal scheduling conflict at the beginning of the season where they played all their schedule on the road in the first part and they were so injured and Parisi and Palmieri sucked in the first half, but they were two of their best players in the second half. Barzell is in a contract year. He's looking to get paid. If he has another 60 point, 70 point season, he's not going to get what he thought he could. He could explode offensively this season and they can't blame Barry Trotz anymore. Like for their defensive style system, keeping Barzell back, he's going to have uh, no leash on him this year offensively. So if he has an 85, 90 point season, I would be 0% surprised. He is looking to get paid and I think he's capable of doing it. So I am high on the Islanders. I like the moves that they made. If nifty Nazi Dangleman goes there and is their number two center, then I think they have a really good, or even if he's their number one center, he has a really good chance of helping them get in the playoffs. I like Anders Lee. I like Bailey. Um, I feel like I'm forgetting. Oh, Anthony Bavillier. They're good players on the New York Islanders, and they have a top five goalie in Ilya Sorokin. Yeah, okay? it's possible. Uh, so that, that's my take on them. The Columbus Blue Jackets, they got hockey, but I'm not high on them yet. I'm not. They have, they're one of those teams that has to go out and prove it to me. They got rid of a very good player in Oliver Bjorkstrand, gave him to the Seattle Kraken to make salary cap room. For Johnny Goudreau, I, I just I don't see it from them this year. I, they're building something nice. They have outstanding prospects. They could be a cup contender next year or the year after. I have no – signing Goudreau was not a dumb idea by the Columbus Blue Jackets. I just kind of see it as like – remember when the Rangers signed Panarin a year before they were ready to win? And like they weren't a good team, but he was still there that first year. Yeah, That's mm-hmm. upcoming in my opinion for the Columbus Blue Jackets. Hockey's there. One year ahead of schedule, but he wasn't going to be there next offseason, so they had to pull the trigger now. But they got really good uh, prospects over there that I know they're excited about. I just don't see it from them this season. I think in the Eastern Conference, the same way I see Winnipeg and Anaheim in the West, I see that for Ottawa, New Jersey, and Detroit. Detroit has a chance to go really 
above and beyond this year. They were a bubble team all the way up until January, and then they started to fade away into the sunset after that point in time. Very similar season to the Anaheim Ducks. We're in a playoff spot up until that point, and then rode into the sunset as a non-playoff team. Mo Sider is amazing, okay? Actually Lucas forgot Raymond's about outstanding. Yeah, in Detroit, they have a good goaltender in Nedeljkovic. Um, they're four, Dylan Larkin's a really good player. Um, I like what Detroit is building over there. I think they're going to be a good team in short order. We'll see if this is the year that they get over the hump. I'm not positive it's going to be, but there's a chance. So that's one of my like sleepers in the Eastern Conference. But my 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 hardcore chalk answers are Vegas and the Islanders. Wow. Huh. I'm, I'm kind of surprised with the Islanders. I don't know. I don't know what to make of them yet, to be honest with you. I actually forgot about Detroit. They would have been one of my sleepers too. Um, cause I, I do think they have the potential to be one of those bubble teams again, and they, they can make it in with this young talent that we're seeing from them. So I, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Maybe, uh, yeah, maybe I'd go with Detroit too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. Let's embrace debate a little bit here for five minutes in order. You could go from five to one. Who are the most important players to the Chicago Blackhawks? in their run of dominance from 2010 to 2017. Not ranking them based on their skill. I think everybody and their mother knows that Patrick Kane is the most skilled player of all those guys. But was he the most important? Your list, sir. Do you want me to go five to one or one to five? However you want to do it. I want you to tell me. Go five to one. All right. So starting out with number five, this man doesn't get enough uh, credit. He's had a lot of shit talk against him. It's Corey Crawford by far for number five for me. You could say what you want about him. You could say that he's let in a ton of bad goals, especially in that series against the Coyotes in 2012 where he had a couple goals where like the puck just rolled past him. Listen, let's not take away what this man has done in his career. You look at his career stats. He's got a – it's below mid to ERA. It's like 2.4 something. His save percentage is like – 0.918. This man was electric. And without Corey Crawford in net, we can't we can have a Cristobal Hue or uh Anti Ranta leading the way to Stanley Cups back then, or whoever else was Scott Darling. I mean, these guys weren't gonna win Stanley Cups on their own. You needed Corey Crawford in order to win these Stanley Cups because without him, there would be no modern day dynasty for the Chicago Blackhawks. He was so crucial crucial and I'm tired of like people shitting on him for the way he played because now I'm wishing he was still the goaltender for the Blackhawks I miss those days so and a lot of those people who are making fun of him too I'm sure they miss those days as well number four Marion Hossa what a guy I love Marion Hossa um he was one of the most well-rounded players for the Chicago Blackhawks during that time penalty killer he was able to score goals. He was the active leader in shorthanded goals. He did it all. When he was killing a pop, uh, penalty, you, you had a good chance that he would kill the penalty, and you had also a good chance of scoring shorthanded. There's no reason or there's no doubt as to why this man is now a Hall of Fame player because of his time with the Blackhawks. He was on Detroit. He was on Pittsburgh. But he made his impact the most when he was with the Chicago Blackhawks. And I was sad to see the Blackhawks let go of him when he was had that uh, injury or illness or whatever was going on with the with him. 
I'm grateful that he played with the Chicago Blackhawks and having a guy as well-rounded as Marion Hosa, I think is so, so key to winning Stanley Cups and ultimately is why he is number four. Number three for me is Duncan Keith. Duncan Keith was named one of NHL's top 100 players of all time. He was one of the best defensemen, if not the best defenseman, in that time era. Two Norris trophies during that time. One in 2009-2010, and I don't remember the other one. Was it 2016, I believe it was? I think it was 2015-2016. And that was like the last year the Hawks were, I would say, great. And then 2017, they got swept by the Predators. Um, so 2016, when Duncan Keith had that Norris Trophy run, and in 2010, when the Blackhawks won their first Stanley Cup in 49 years, Duncan Keith was just outstanding, man. He was just watching him play defense is like the way you watch Kale McCarr play defense now, except Kale McCarr is a little more offensive than Duncan Keith was. But Duncan Keith was one of the most defensive, best defensive defensemen out there. And not to mention that the contract, Keith was on was crucial for the Chicago Blackhawks. He was only making five and a half million early on during those, uh, those first couple Stanley cup runs. Um, I actually, I think through all three Stanley cups, wasn't he only making five and a half? Yep. I'm pretty sure. Which, was one of the best contracts in NHL history. Exactly. So when you have one of the best defensemen on such a low budget contract that you're, you're like swindling the rest of the NHL. And I think because of that contract, because of the type of player Duncan Keith is, that helped them win three Stanley Cups. I mean, you really can't say it better. He was the best defenseman for the Chicago Blackhawks, maybe of all time, in all, in all honesty. This man is an absolute legend. I love Duncan Keith. He's earned my respect for being the third most important player. Number two, many people would think he's number one. I don't think he's number one. It's Patrick Kane, simply because we're going off of importance here. He played some of the most important hockey in his career back then. That was prime Patty Kane. The goals he scored, he was uh, he was in the race for the uh, was it Art Ross, I believe, uh, a couple times. Or I, did he didn't win it? Did he? Yeah, he won an Art Ross. He did win the Art Ross. Won the Hart Trophy. Was that? Did he win the Art Ross in 2013? Then no. Was that he the won, Hart in 2013? He, he won Hart and Art Ross in the same year in 2016. Oh wow! Okay. Um, Patrick King, Patrick King got better after the team got worse. Yeah, and it, it's just he played so well. And the goals that he scored, you need a guy like Pat, Patrick Kane. Everybody who wins the Stanley Cup's got a guy. Colorado, Nathan McKinnon. Pittsburgh, Sidney Crosby. Um, the Boston Bruins, Patrice Bergeron at that time. Patrice Bergeron was a, the focal point of why the Bruins were so amazing because he, he was that well-rounded player, kind of like Hosa. When somebody wins the Stanley Cup, they got a guy like Patrick Kane. They got their number one guy. You're not going to see a guy like the Arizona Coyotes where you don't have that number one guy. You're not going to see a guy like Ottawa who you don't know who's going to be the number one guy. People think it's going to be Debrinket or whatever. It, it just, But he's not that guy like Patrick Kane. I just don't see it. When you win the cup, you're going to have that standout guy, and that's Patrick Kane. Like I said, silky smooth with his hands, just like I referred to as McKinnon with silky smooth. Patrick Kane has some of the best hands in the NHL. He is outstanding. Um, and that's why he's number two. But number one for me is my favorite player in the NHL. It's Jonathan Taves. You can't win a Stanley Cup 
let alone multiple, without the leadership that he had leading this uh, Chicago Blackhawks team. Don't forget that he was named also, along with Patrick Kane and Duncan Keith, as one of the top 100 players in NHL history. And he earned that from 2010 to 2016 because the list came out in 2016. Now you look at him and it's like, oh, he's not playing like a top player in the NHL. His his career has declined. But back then, that's when he earned his mark in NHL history because of being that leader. He was one of the best leaders in the NHL. When you have a guy who goes out there on the ice each night, leads like that, and you have Patrick Kane, Duncan Keith, Marion Hosa and Corey Crawford as the other four in the top five, but you have that leader. He's like the glue that held everything together. If you had a different captain in that time, in that time, I honestly believe that the Hawks would have won zero Stanley cups in my lifetime. If Jonathan Taves wasn't the captain back then, he'll, he'll always hold a special place in my heart. He'll always be one of the best captains that I've ever witnessed in NHL history. And for that, I think he was the most important for this he, he, this glue that held everything together. I really like your list. We have the exact same list, except for one thing. What do you think it is? Crawford. No. Absolutely got the goalie up there. He He's in five, just like you. Hosa? Nope. I, I thought about putting Hosa higher, but I had him at four. Keith? I put Keith at two and Kane at three. So it's got to be Taves. No, Taves is one. Well, then we have the I'm same five. You, flip, flip Keith and Kane. Oh, but we have the same five. We have the same five. Oh, I thought you said one was not in the... I was oh, like, no, was no, no. One. I would flip two and three. Kane is the best player of them all. There's no doubt in my mind about it. Okay? In terms of importance... If you remove your number one defenseman, you win no cups. Exactly. I, I think if Taves would have gotten hurt one of the years, they still might have won. Maybe. Probably not, but like more likely than Keith. Um, but again, I still have Taves at one because of the captaincy, the go the you know, the clutch goals he always scored that game seven against Anaheim. He had the greatest game a Blackhawk forward ever had in the playoffs, in my opinion. Yep. Um Kane is at three. There were some playoffs where Kane got quiet. I remember that church in Tampa Bay put up a sign that said, because of because of Hedman, Kane isn't able. A little punny Bible joke there. Mm-hmm. Like, Hedman shut Kane down in the Stanley Cup final in 2015, and they still won because Duncan Keith was their best player in 2013. The only year of the three that Kane won the Conn Smythe trophy. You can argue it could have went to Crawford. You can argue it could have went to sharp. Okay. And man, it really pained me to leave off Seabrook and sharp because they Seabrook were probably would have been my sixth. I would put Seabrook sixth, sharp seventh. I agree. Almerson eighth. Yep. I, I totally agree. Yes. And then I, because of the way that Seabrook paired with Keith for his whole career, that was yep. like a huge, when you have two defensemen paired like that, I mean, you're ultimately just, bound to win cups. I agree. And then for nine, it's an argument between nine and 10 for me are Saad and Oduya. And either way you can ro- rotate it. Like Oduya as a number three or as a number four was incredible. I didn't think about that. Any team would sign up for a four like Oduya, you know, in his prime. Like he, he, and he paired so well with Yalmerson. They were the Swedish pair. It was outstanding. But yeah, I would put Keith at two. I think he was incredible. 
um, for a defenseman to win the Conn Smythe Trophy. I mean, Keith Keith Taves and Kane can be really argued in any order. And two Norris trophies. Two Norris trophies. I mean, it's hard I for a guy to get one. Look at Roman Yossi's trying to get one, let alone Keith got two. Yeah. And like Makar right now is better than Keith ever was, in my opinion. But can he sustain it for as long as Keith did? That remains to be seen. Right now, the three best defensemen I ever watched play, I was too young for Raymond Bork. Okay. My dad was too young for Bobby Orr. But like, I, so for me, it's Kale McCarr, Eric Carlson, Drew Doughty, Duncan Keith, Nicholas Lidstrom. Those are like the five best I've ever seen. Not in that order. I would put Keith number one at all, or Lidstrom would be number one. Keith would probably be two, Doughty three. But like, I, I don't know. I, I just think so highly of Duncan Keith, and I think they win nothing without him. Nothing. I I think they win nothing without any of these guys for like their whole like if none of these guys ever made it to the Blackhawks. I don't know. Yeah. I think everything worked out perfect. If Taves wasn't the captain, they wouldn't have won. I don't think. I agree. I agree. The, with the goal, the Crawford's locked in at number five for me. They, they won with Niemi, right? Like, I'm not I'm not diminishing Crawford by any means. But, like, there are other goalies they could have gotten. Like, uh, that's just the way I feel. But there's a reason I put him five. He was great. He was fantastic. But one through four, you can argue in any order, and I mean that about Hosa. You can argue Hosa as one. He is the greatest free agent signing in the history of Chicago sports. Let me make that clear, okay? Mm-hmm. Marion Hosa is the greatest free agent signing in the history of Chicago sports. I Yeah, I don't disagree. John Lester was great. He's probably number two, Okay. Yeah. He was great, but Marion Hosa is second to none. Three Stanley Cups. He chased that thing around for a while. He came up just short in Pittsburgh. He came up just short in Detroit. He comes to Chicago, solidifies their forward unit. He was a mix of Taves and Kane, and it was incredible. Marion Hosa, props to you. That's a great top five list. I couldn't agree more on the selections you made. I'm glad we agreed. And I, I got to actually meet Marion Hosa, um, signed stick. I also have a signed Duncan Keith card um, for his rookie card. I mean, these guys were just such a big part of my childhood that I, I love each and every one of them. I actually, I think I have something of everyone on this list that's valuable to me in the, in my house. So it's just, I, I love this team. I miss this team. And I hope that one day I can get back to, what we saw from 2010 to 2016. Absolutely. Frank, you ready to have some pop culture, other sports kind of fun? Oh, I'm ready. Are you ready? Let's do it in period number three. Before we get into anything in period number three, Frank, LeBron James has agreed to a two-year, $97.1 million contract that includes a player option for the 2024-25 season with the Los Angeles Lakers. Brownie's not going anywhere. What do you think? I'm not surprised just because he made a comment that he would like to play at least one year with his son. And if I'm not mistaken, his son will be ready to play. I don't think it's this year but maybe by the second year. And I think after he plays that one year, LeBron may call it quits. I don't know. So that two-year contract makes sense. Sticking with the Lakers, I didn't think they would really trade him. I don't think he'd really want to go anywhere. But you could expect LeBron James to play with his son in short order. 
I agree with you. And I didn't think he was going to retire by any means. I just wasn't certain he was going to stay with the Lakers much longer, but he is know. going to. This contract goes until Bronny's rookie season. And you would wonder if whoever has whatever pick, I don't know if Bron- Brownie, I don't know if he's going to be the number one overall pick. I doubt it. Unless no. that team, unless that team just knows that it'll also le- attract LeBron James and they'll make a crap ton of money. Like it could be a business decision more than anything to draft Bronny, but Whatever team drafts him, you would think the big man goes and joins him for at least a season. Yep, absolutely. Um, and I think LeBron has a lot of pull in the Lakers organization just because of who he is. And I think they're going to do everything in his power to um, get Bronny to the Los Angeles Lakers. And if not, there is a 100% guarantee, this is a fact, that if another team drafts his son, he will be leaving the Lakers to go to that team after this two-year contract. So this could be the last time we see LeBron James in a Lakers uniform, um, unless, obviously, his son goes to the Los Angeles Lakers. But if not, there is a 100% guarantee. He already said it. He's leaving to play with his son. Big Brother's getting spicy. What do you think? Ah, Last episode was very good. All right, Taylor's overthinking a lot of things. It's like really bothering me. Like you got yep. this alliance, right? You you've that been was like formed for you. Yeah, and you've risen from the dead. You were out. You were down and out. Everybody was against you, and all of a sudden you're like the Undertaker sitting up. Hand comes out of the grave, and you're back. You're in business, and now you have one of the best alliances this season formed. And you're, you're like, oh, should I put him up? Should I put Joseph and Monty? Up? I'm like, what? Excuse me? What'd you just say? Like. How, how could you do that? And then they like, and then they kind of re jog their memory and be like, well, if you do this, what if somebody wins? No, news? she's like, Oh yeah. But what if I do this? And it's like another bad plan. I'm like, if you want Terrence out so bad, put him up. He's not going to win the veto. Come on. I mean, yeah, there's a chance I'll take my odds. Um, the other thing you could do is you put up a strong guy. You put up somebody like Monty and Terrence, no matter what the leftovers has your back. So if somebody wins the veto and it's not used, there you go. You still got the leftovers going to vote out Terrence. And if somebody, you also increase your odds of somebody like Monty playing in the veto gives you an even better chance of hold all the power. She's just really annoying me lately. Cause I, I was, I'm so for Taylor. Cause I was so everybody that was like being meaner in the house. It was just so awful. But at this point in the game, when you have this alliance, you've got like, you're in the best prime moment of big brother. And you're you're kind of you're wasting it. It feels like something's gonna go wrong this week, because don't forget we have this split house twist coming, so we don't know how that's gonna fare at the end of this week. So you don't, I mean, they don't know that, but it's like you don't want to make too many dumb decisions because right now I got the vibe like something's gonna be messed up this week. Something bad's gonna happen. I don't know. Yeah, and tonight's the veto. Yeah, yeah, it, it's definitely something's fishy. It is fishy. I smell bad fish. Yeah, and if somebody who's not in the leftovers wins the veto, then which can it be, right? Like, is Terrence or Jasmine capable of winning the veto? I don't know. But I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so either. Jasmine's got one foot. She can't do anything, really. Yeah. So to me, the leftovers should, if they're smart, have another week of control here. And I, I think they're in great position to be the final seven. I don't understand how they wouldn't be the final seven at this point. Unless but. somebody makes a big move and try to get, if you get one of them out, you still got the numbers. I think it's seven, four right now. 
So if yeah. you get one of them out, it's still 6-4. And then even if somebody wins HOH and they don't get to vote, it's still 5-4. Yeah. So you could still, like, make that big move. So if Taylor's, like, thinking about doing that, then okay, I get where your gameplay is coming from. But she's not even doing that. It's like she's just making bad decisions. Yeah. Well, I mean, What do you well, think? Well, she also seemed, like, receptive to what people were saying to her about these decisions. Like, she she wasn't, like, locked in on everything. Like, the only thing that she's locked in on is not putting up Jasmine because she won't put up a fellow African-American woman. That's the only thing she's locked into and nobody will be able to talk her out of. They, the other thing she was thinking about doing, they talked her out of. Like, every dumb thing, she like, idea she came up with, they talked her out of successfully. And she's going to stick to the Jasmine thing, which is fine. But I, I don't think it's the best for her game. If... The veto is used tonight. Does Jasmine go up? Uh, I, it would be a very bad move for Taylor's game to not do that. Even though she, she said she never would. I know. Maybe she'll stick to her guns. Everybody in the leftovers seems to respect that because Monty was the one who pointed it out, a black man. And nobody's going to argue with Monty on that. So I think... I think that's a move that will get respect from her group, but I also don't think that means that Taylor doesn't want Jasmine out. She just doesn't want it on her hands. I also think if Jasmine won HOH, though, she wouldn't feel the same way, and she would go after Taylor. 100%. That's why I respect what Taylor's doing. I just don't know if it's the best for her individual game. I don't think it is. I don't either. So if you're a Big Brother fan, you like watching tonight, very excited about it. Frank, over the weekend, we celebrated Katie's 30th birthday. It was an outstanding time. Great surprise party. She was totally shocked. She had no clue, according to her, and I believe her. Everybody, there was some debate whether or not she knew. I don't think she knew one bit. But we played a game of um, Boom Cup, and you were the big loser. You had to drink the, the final cup that was filled to the brim. Describe your emotions of this moment. I wasn't. Anytime... Boom Cup is there. I I like to play it just because it's probably my favorite type of drinking game there is, right? And I'm not a big drinker, but when you play Boom Cup, there's a lot more skill involved than other drinking games. I mean, theoretically, all drinking games involve some sort of skill. But Boom Cup is, you could play Boom Cup and not drink at all. Like you could play 10 games of Boom Cup and end up not drinking at all if you're good with the ping pong ball. So my theory is, okay, I know I'm pretty good at Boom Cup. I can bounce a ping pong ball in the cup, right? And there's just those people that play that you know when they play, oh, they're screwed. They're going to get in a tornado. They're going to get sloshed because they're going to have to drink a lot. And I'm not one of those people because I like to think I'm a very good Boom Cup player. I feel the same way. So I, so I decided to play. I see Boom Cup. I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I whisper to G. I'm like, oh, I'm going to go play because I know I'm not going to have to drink a lot. I'm going to make everybody else drink. Get up to play Boom Cup. I get placed on the right side of the table, which is like the table's like grass. Like I was trying to bounce the ball on grass. It wouldn't bounce. I want my tables to be like concrete. This thing was like you'd bounce nothing. And when I tell you that the stack gets up to 15, 20 cups high, you're boned. There is a guarantee you're drinking. I mean, it happened to me. You drank a couple times, and then all of a sudden, we're down to four cups, and it's like four people away. And I know nobody's going to make the big stack. So just by process of, process of elimination, I'm going to be stuck with the death cup. 
Here it comes. One cup left. I try to bounce. The stack's about this big, maybe even higher. Try to bounce. Doesn't even make it halfway up. I'm trying to hammer it. Ball flies, flies off the table. I know I'm doomed. I get the death cup for the first time ever playing that game. And I was so disappointed because I, I my expectations were so much higher. But you're not out on Boom Cup as a game. Oh no, it's one. Of, it's probably my favorite still, or one of my favorites. Real. So I was gonna ask, favorite drinking games, parties, tailgating. I have three favorite drinking games. What are they? First of all, I just want to say my least favorite. I think it's so overrated. There's two of them. Flip Cup. Flip Cup. It's I just, can't it's, stand it either. It's just overrated. Like it's like okay, well, let's invent something new. Flip Cup's been around for generations. There's just no point. Yeah, I get it. Like we're let's upgrade with the times, right? Flip Cup could have been big back in the day, but to me, it's just overrated. I, I just, I don't know. There's so many other games I'd rather play. Then the other game, I don't know what the name is, so I wrote down four cards. It's like where you got to flip a card and you got to call a suit or a color or high-low. You know what I'm talking about? Irish poker. Yeah, that's that's kind of like stupid too. It's just, it's just people who want to drink, but like, well, we want to casually drink, but let's add in a little game of high-low, guess the color. Like to me, that's stupid too. I'm not a fan of playing it. My three favorite drinking games, though, Boom Cup, Snipe Cup, because I am a champion, and Beard Eye. I really like Beard Eye a lot. Like, I have really good hand-eye coordination, so I play good defense in that game. It's it's a lot of fun. But that's, like, the time. Like, we're evolving. Like, Boom Cup, Snipe Cup, and Beard Eye. I could have asked those people at the party, hey, you guys played uh, Beard Eye or Snipe Cup? today? what? Like, it's time to evolve. It's not all about flip. So, boom, snipe, beard eye. I like all three of those games. I The only traditional game I love playing every time is beer BP. Pong. I like playing BP. But that's why I didn't include it because that's like a staple. Yeah, I'm good at BP. It. I like I it. Like I can win in BP with any partner. I, like I legitimately think – I don't win every game. Of course, people beat me. But I believe I have a chance to win any game of BP. I think I'm that good at it. Yeah, so I, I agree. I didn't add it to the list because that's like chalk. Like when you think of drinking games, if I if you're on family food, like name a popular drinking game that you would play at a party. Beer pong would probably be number one. Sure. So that's like I didn't add it to either of my list. Um, it's definitely if I had to add it to one, it'd be under the favorites. But um, I just figured I'd go a little off the grid here for people who don't, you know, know some of these games. Yeah, I would say your three and BP are on my Mount Rushmore of drinking games. I agree. So that was fun. Good time. Frankie drank death cup. He stinks. Frank NFL training camp fully, fully, fully underway. We had a preseason game for every team in the league. Game number two is tomorrow for the Chicago bears against the Seattle Seahawks. Lots of teams will get underway tomorrow and go throughout the weekend. Do you have any preseason notes that you want to share with anyone? Or do you want to get right into my quarterback rankings officially? Well, Honestly, the Bears have looked decent in their first game. Their defense looked pretty good against the Chiefs. I know it's only preseason. And when Patrick Mahomes played, I mean, they kind of like carved out the defense. He went down and scored a touchdown. But I really like the way Fields have been playing. I've seen a lot of videos of Fields in training camp. Like I said earlier, I'm not out on Fields. Um, from what I've seen so far, it's hard to judge off preseason. But I kind of like uh, what I've been seeing lately, so. I that's all I really got. I couldn't agree more. Are you ready for this? Kinda. Are you going one to fifteen or fifteen to fifteen to one? 
Okay. Coming in at number 15, he's a very average game manager. I think an, av- uh, an average quarterback is at number 15 um, because really 16 through 32 are either question marks or bad quarterbacks, in my opinion. Justin right. Fields, Trevor Lawrence, Trey Lance, question marks. Um, uh, really 16 through 20 could be those guys who like you could like Jimmy G is like 16 through 20, right? Like he's not on my top 15 list, but you can win with him if necessary. Mm-hmm. And then you got like bad quarterbacks like Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, um, Jones, what Daniel Jones, though 15 or 16 through 20 or, or sorry, 16 through 32 are any mix of those types. But at number 15 and higher, you got guys who are at minimum okay. And at number 15, Ryan Tannehill. Ryan Tannehill, he was a, he was good enough to be a number one seed in the AFC two years in a row. 15 is where the ceiling ends, and you kind of just flop out in the first round because you don't have a quarterback who can get you over the hump. Mm-hmm. Jimmy G's probably right there at 16. I probably could have rotated the two, but I'm also not sure he's even going to be a starter this season because they haven't traded him yet. So I had no ability to put him above Ryan Tannehill, but I think of those two as one in the same. You could win a lot with him. I'm not sure you can get over the hump with him. If you did it because your defense was great, like Nick Foles won a Super Bowl, right? Like that. And Nick Foles probably would have been 15 through 20 back in those days when he was with the Philadelphia Eagles, right? So at number 14 is a guy I think could fall way off. Or could climb way up, and that is Jalen Hurts of the Philadelphia Eagles. He had a really good year with them last year. This is a big prove-it year for Jalen Hurts. The Philadelphia Eagles probably will be my pick to win the NFC East. It is a bad division, and you know my Alabama guys are succeeding a little bit. We'll see if he's able to be that guy. Um, I don't have Mac Jones or... Tua Tango-Vailoa in my top 15. So he is the number one of the three Alabama quarterbacks that have been there in the last couple years. We'll see if he's able to maintain that spot. Like I said, he could continue to rise or he could fall based on how this season goes for him. I'm a little higher on him than most people. At number 13, Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins, the Minnesota Vikings aren't going to find anyone better, right? None of these guys who are ahead of him on this list are coming to Minnesota anytime soon, so they might as well try to win with him. I do believe uh, it's not just a hot take that I'm trying to get clicks with. I do believe the Minnesota Vikings will win the NFC North, and not because of Kirk Cousins, but because I think they're a better constructed team. Rodgers, Cousins, and Fields are all going to be running for their lives this season, and I think Cousins has the best offensive weapons around him to take advantage. If the Packers had Bakhtiari, I probably would pick Green Bay to win their division, but left tackle is the third most position on third most important position on a football field, and I do believe that that is the way it is for him right now. Number twelve, Dak Prescott of the Dallas Cowboys. Lots of people have him in their top ten. I think he's a little overrated. I obviously know it's the same thing as Kirk Cousins. Who are you going to replace Dak Prescott with if you're the Dallas Cowboys? There's really nobody that I can think of right now. There's no free agent. There's nobody they could have drafted this past season. You got to ride out another year with Dak Prescott, and that's ultimately why they paid him. Kyler Murray comes in at number 11. He probably should be in the top 10, but there just seems to be a lot of noise that surrounds Kyler Murray that has nothing to do with football. If he goes out there and balls the way that we know he's capable of, 
I I just I think it's possible that he gets himself into the top ten. But when I look at the list of top ten ahead of him, I'm not putting him ahead of any of them. And that's just why I have him at number 11. Could the Cardinals win a Super Bowl with Kyler Murray? Yes, I believe they can. People who question his height, there is a quarterback on this list ahead of Kyler Murray who is the same height as him that has won a Super Bowl, appeared in another, and has been a winning quarterback his entire career. We will get there shortly. But Kyler Murray at number 11 is where I think the quarterbacks start to become above average. Number nine, Lamar Jackson. I believe Lamar Jackson could be in the top five. Or no, I skipped ten. What an idiot I am! We'll I was like, to, "Where's 10? We'll get to Lamar in a minute. Number ten is Derek Carr of the Las Vegas Raiders. I believe it's funny because he's the worst quarterback in his division, and he's still top ten. That speaks volumes to the division. But I think Derek Carr has the chance to be elite, and he can lead the Raiders to the playoffs. Or their division could be too good to overcome. But we will see what happens with him. Lamar Jackson at number nine. He's won an MVP. He's been one of the best players in the NFL. I get worried about him getting hurt. I think the Ravens are a well-organized team. They've been one of the best teams in the NFL historically. I like Lamar Jackson. I think he has potential to be number two or three on this list. But the last couple years with injury and whatnot have bumped him down to number nine. But I think the sky's the limit for him and basically every player ahead of him on this list. That number eight is the defending Super Bowl champion winning quarterback, Matthew Stafford. He used to be kind of in that like 10 through 13 range for me. Like, hey, go out there and prove you can do it with a really good team. Detroit has failed you for all these years. You've continued to have all these outstanding statistics for all these years. But you go out there and you get on a good team and you win the Super Bowl in your first opportunity. That proves to me that Matthew Stafford is an elite quarterback and well-deserving of the top eight. Number seven is Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson has never been an under 500 quarterback in his career. When he played a season from beginning to end, he is for sure going to go to the Hall of Fame. He's one of the best quarterbacks of his generation. There was a point where he was number two on this list for me. I think the world of Russell Wilson, and I think this year's Broncos are last year's Rams, where they might not win the Super Bowl, but you're a great team that was like eight and eight, nine and seven type of team, and then you add an elite quarterback to it. Russell Wilson's an upgrade over Drew Locke. Their stock rises. The Denver Broncos become a really good team. I have Russell Wilson at number seven. Number six is where we start to see like the guys. Well, no, I would say Russell Wilson is in that mix too. But number six, Justin Herbert of the Los Angeles Chargers. He's kind of a surprise, right? Like he was a little bit overdrafted. People were like, what are the, what are the Chargers drafting him for? They could go get Trevor Lawrence the following year. Justin Herbert, sensational. He can be a quarterback that you win a Super Bowl with. And everybody who watches football and enjoys football should tune into the Chargers as often as they can because Justin Herbert is sensational. Number five is a guy who has done nothing but win throughout his career in football. He had one season where things were only eh. And it was because he did get hurt halfway through the season. But when he is healthy, Joe Burrow is one of the best players in the league. He won a national championship with LSU. He was blocked at Ohio State by Justin Fields. He goes to um, LSU and he balls his ass off. He is one of the best players in the league now. Like I said, you normally don't put stock in Super Bowl losers 
not a young team like the uh, Cincinnati Bengals who upgraded their offensive line. They made it to the Super Bowl with Joe Burrow running for his life on basically every play. And now he's truly one of the greats. He could be number two or three, if not one on this list in short order. Number four is Josh Allen. Josh Allen will play on the best team in the NFL this season. He was like the fourth or fifth quarterback drafted in his class, and he's come out. And if that draft were redone, he would go number one overall. No, no doubt about it. And he's just truly, he's got the whole package and he could compete with Patrick Mahomes. That game in the playoffs, you said Patrick Mahomes won the game because he had slightly more skill. In my opinion, he does have slightly more skill, but that's not the reason he won that game. The reason they won that game is because they had the ball last. Whoever has, I mean, let's be honest, 90% of football games between two good teams, even between not two good teams, it comes down to who ever has the last the ball last whether or not they score or are stopped that is how 90 percent of football games end and patrick mahomes made the the final play and got the win over those bills last year i'm excited to see what Allen's able to do this year at number three i'm kind of disrespecting him here maybe there's a little personal bias against him but at number three is aaron Rodgers, the back-to-back nfc north champion winning quarterback the back-to-back, undisputed, unarguable MVP of the National Football League. And he has just been sensational for all these years now. He's one of the best quarterbacks who ever lived. He's still looking for that elusive second Super Bowl. And he's going to be trying to get it this year. I'm, I'm not high on Green Bay. I have him at third. You'll understand with the two guys ahead of him why I do. He still could go out there and win the MVP. I just think things are going to be a little bit harder for him without Bakhtiari and without Devontae Adams. At number two, you're going to be surprised. I think he's the best, the highest skilled quarterback in the NFL. But at number two, I have Patrick Mahomes. Again, based on skill, I would put Mahomes one and Rodgers second. Okay, and I might put Allen third. But I'm putting Mahomes at number two on this list because of what I think of number one. But Mahomes, he can win the Super Bowl. He could win the next five Super Bowls. He could win three of the next five Super Bowls. Or he could win none of them because the NFL is hard. But, man, what I saw from him last season, he was able to duke it out. And really, 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 he puts that team on his back every single chance he gets. And the Bengals pulled off a miracle win over them in the AFC championship last year and deserve a lot of credit for it. But man, that game between Mahomes and Allen, these are the three guys who are going to lead the AFC for the next couple years. And Herbert, I think Herbert will be in that mix as well. Same thing with Russell Wilson, but like the AFC is so strong and Mahomes is just continuously at the top of it. If I can build my franchise around one player going forward, I can draft every player in the NFL and I'm using age skill and everything I know about them to draft the league from scratch, and I get to keep them for the next 10 years. I'm taking Patrick Mahomes number one, and the only reason I'm not taking this guy number one that I have ranked number one is because of age. Of course, I'm going to name Tom Thomas Edward Patrick Brady as the number one quarterback in the NFL. It's for this season alone. It's for the 2022 season. I will stand by Tom Brady as long as I can no longer with a straight face anymore. He was outstanding with the Buccaneers last year. An amazing, amazing, amazing game-winning drive by Matthew Stafford and the Los Angeles Rams is the only reason Tom Brady didn't appear in the Super Bowl again last year. And I'm looking forward to the rematch this year. I'm That's my pick for the NFC Championship game again. 
and I believe Tom Brady still. He can't be put below Patrick Mahomes for me because he's 3-0 and against him in the playoffs, including the Super Bowl two years ago. And that, that's just the reason I have this list constructed the way it is. Would I take Tom Brady long-term over Mahomes? No. But for the 2022 season, I absolutely would. Their uh, receiving core is going to be sensational with Godwin and Evans and Julio Jones. Gronk's not there, but he might unretire in December again. That's very possible. He's already alluded to it. I, I'm just very high on Tom Brady going into this season, and that is my list of the top 15 quarterbacks. Frank, it's on you. Could you repeat that? I missed it. Yeah, so at number 15. <laughs> um, well, could you at least go through them like quick, though? Because like, so I could get, because it was a lot. To yeah, take so go okay. Through. 15, Tannehill. Okay, Tannehill, Hurts, Cousins, Prescott, Murray, Carr. Whoa, whoa, whoa. a little slower, a little slower. Go okay. like five at a time. Tannehill, Hurts, Cousins, Prescott, Murray. Okay. Carr. Jackson, Stafford, Wilson, Herbert. Okay. Burrow, Allen, Rogers, Mahomes, Brady. Um, I actually, I don't know. I think Josh Allen may be better than Aaron Rodgers this year, to be honest with you. Possible. I might have him higher than Rodgers. Um, yeah, Kirk Cousins, I don't know. To me, I think I prefer Tannehill. Who is 14? Jalen Hurts. Yeah, I probably wouldn't. I don't know about him. And 12? Yeah, he's an unknown. Uh, 12 is Prescott. Yeah, I'd rather, rather have over Cousins. The only one I'd, I'd probably want Tannehill over Kirk Cousins, to be honest with you. I'm not a big fan of Tannehill. Um, I just think if he was on any other team, I mean, look at him when he was with the Dolphins. He wasn't that good. I just think he has the blessing of playing with Derek uh, – Derrick Henry and the, just being on a better team in general. I don't know. Um, but I, I think he could potentially do better on the Vikings, but I don't see it happening. Um, as far as everybody else, yeah, I, I mean, I like where you got everybody. I do think Derek Carr is a top 10 quarterback. I think he's going to be even better this year at Devontae Adams. Justin Herbert also up and coming. Uh, he's, he's a great quarterback. He's also the type of quarterback that likes to play in a lot of shootout type of games. Um it's hard to argue against Tom Brady, knowing that how well he's been doing lately, or lately, I say. I mean, throughout his career. But um, is uh, your top five is good. The only thing I probably would flip, honestly, is Josh Allen and Aaron Rodgers. That's interesting. For the sake of argument, though, I mean, the guys won two straight MVPs. It's hard for me to just put Josh Allen ahead of him with that in mind. True. And it's unfortunate that situation – does impact this list. Like Rodgers might be one if Bakhtiari and Adams were there. Yeah, you also got to think about the situation too, which that's why I think favors Josh Allen a little bit. Absolutely. And they added freaking what's his name to the defense, Von Miller. It was already a back defense. Right. They have digs. Okay. And that's what Stafford gets raised. Allen Robinson is his second receiver. Allen Robinson would be a one on a lot of teams. He's two. He might even be three. In Los Angeles. And I think the Bills have a really good chance of winning the Super Bowl, and I don't really think the Packers have a chance of winning the Super Bowl. If I they agree. couldn't do it last year, and now you lost some key pieces, not going to do it this year. So that's ultimately why I have Josh Allen ahead of him. Josh Allen has also been better in the playoffs in the last two to three years. Roger, you know, his worst game of the season last year was that game against San Francisco at Lambeau. 
you know how you always say like Toronto got unlucky because they had to face the Stanley Cup defending two-time defending Stanley Cup champs in the playoffs. Sure. Well, I think Josh Allen got unlucky because he had to face Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs. Yes, and again, that's something the Leafs and Allen have to overcome. Yeah, they do. They did. It's it, it, and it'll come. I think. I think there will be a time where Allen will beat Mahomes in a big game when it comes down to it. I think they're capable of doing it. So Agreed. we'll we'll see. But other than that, I really like the list. What about one and two? I, I feel like I'm going to take a lot of, when I post this list online, I'm going to take a lot of flack from Mahomes not being one in favor of the 45 year old Thomas Edward Patrick Brady. Well, I think right now, obviously, Mahomes is going to be better, I think. I mean, you saw last year, right? Like, if Brady came out and won another Super Bowl last year, now it's like, well, he's still doing it, even though he just won one recently. But I think right now, we're not talking about a career. It could be Mahomes, but I understand why, and I don't hate that you have him one. Let me be clear. It's not career. Otherwise, no, right. Rodgers would be two. No, right, right. And like Stafford would be three. Russell, or no, Russell Wilson would be three. Stafford would be four. I'd probably put Lamar five. He's got an MVP. I don't hate it because Patrick Mahomes had an off year to start last year. Remember, we had the conversations with Joey. Joey wasn't feeling Patrick Mahomes. We're like, and they still won time. the best division in the NFL. Right. And we said it would take time, and it did take time. And ultimately, Mahomes turned out to be better down the line beat the Bills in the playoffs. But I understand he kind of struggled. I get why you have Tom Brady number one, but I I wouldn't be surprised if it's Patrick Mahomes number one as the season goes on. Me too. It wouldn't surprise me if it was Allen. It wouldn't surprise me if it was Burrow. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't surprise me if it was Herbert or Wilson either. Stafford, he's great. I think he's elite. I don't think he's going to be the best quarterback in the, he's not winning the MVP, right? Like I even think Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray or Dak Prescott have a better chance than Stafford at winning the MVP. That just does. I also don't think that means they're going to have a better season. I just don't, they're not. But I get what you're saying. Like in terms of like crazy things happening, like Stafford's on the Rams. He was the number one overall pick. He's always had this talent when he had Megatron in Detroit, their offense was sensational. They made it to the playoffs. They're, the Lions just have always failed Matthew Stafford, and he's better for it being in Los Angeles. I mean, their defense is stacked. They got another year or two of being good. At, I, I think the Rams are going to be very bad in short order, but they have one or two – like when Stafford's gone and um, what's his name? Aaron Donald gone. Like all these guys, Allen Robinson's not the youngest player on the team. Cooper Cup is – he had a breakout year last year. We'll see if he's able to repeat it this year. But, man, and I'll take a lot of heat from Dallas Cowboy fans on Dak Prescott not being in the top ten. I just – Last I year know. was a win-or-go-home type of season for the Rams. Yes. They went all in. That was it. I also think they have a chance this year. We'll see. I do. Because the NFC – the three best teams in the NFC, in my opinion – are the Rams, 49ers, and Buccaneers. Those three teams, they're going to have a relatively easy ride to the NFC Championship, right? Like, one of them's not going to make it, but, like, the AFC teams are going to beat the H out of each other, basically from round one on. Someone someone out of the Chargers, Broncos, Rams, or Chargers, Broncos, Chiefs, and Chargers. No, Chargers... Cardinals, Chiefs, and Broncos. One of those four is not going to make the playoffs. And two of those four aren't going to see the second round. Like the AFC is unmatched. And 
the whoever makes to the Super Bowl might be on fumes. That's the only thing that scares me and why I think the Rams have a good shot. So good, good football conversation. Absolutely. That was incredible. Cannot wait for the season to start. The Chicago Bears play those Seattle Seahawks tomorrow. I agree with Jesse. I think they're going to be the worst team in the league. Seattle. <laughs> yeah, they probably will. Seattle. To get our opinion on yeah, Seattle, Detroit, Chicago, Atlanta. I Carolina might be a little better than people think. I'm trying to think of the AFC teams that are going to be the worst. The Jets, um, only because Zach Wilson's going to miss the first four weeks and we're not going to be able to truly know about him. Um, the Texans, certainly. But I don't know. That's good stuff. Absolutely. I meant to get my her opinion on uh, Jesse's opinion on the Broncos. Yeah, I mean, she'll be back on. After that Vikings conversation, I know we're going to have to have her back on, especially after her Minnesota Vikings prove both you and her wrong. And speaking of proving Frankie wrong or right, <laughs> or right, Frankie, I'm not when I'm not undefeated against Frankie. The Browns took a crap in my face last season. The Rams and 49ers took a crap in his. We're going to go pretty close to 50% against each other. That's why I think it's so funny to scream at each other because we're both going to be right and we're both going to be wrong. And Frankie knows perfectly well about being right. He knows perfectly well about being wrong. And he will display why in America's favorite podcast segment of the week, Breaking Bets. Where's my money, bitch? Frank, breaking bets. I went rogue this week. This is, you're not going to expect anything. Let me get my water. Let me get my water. The first thing, I have four picks this week, but three of the four are like, you're not expecting me to say this, probably not. So I'll go from most expected to least expected. Okay? So first off, Rays are playing the Yankees tonight. This is one of those expected ones, right? Kluber versus Germain. Germain has been – he has not been really that good this year. And Kluber has really stuck out a little bit to me. I've respected what I've seen from Kluber. Um, I like the Rays plus 123. I think the Yankees, have they lost five in a row? Uh, three in a row. Oh, three in a row. But they are three and seven in their last ten or something they, like that. They had one win against the Red Sox. These are crucial games for the Rays, fighting for that wild card yep. in the American League. And being that I've enjoyed what I've seen more from Kluber, Kluber over Jermaine, I think that Rays plus one one twenty three is pretty decent. I mean, yeah, the Yankees are eventually going to win, but Stephen A completely bashed the Yankees and said like how bad they are. They expect better from the Yankees and eventually they're going to turn it on, but hop on the value because there's going to be, there's very little times where the New York Yankees are dogs. Even when they're playing bad, they're usually a favorite hop on the other team while you can against a good raised team while you can, while the Yankees are in this slump. Will they win? Maybe they might win, but you just can't chance it with the way they've been playing and the way Jermaine's been playing. Raise money line plus 123. This next pick is, I don't know if I've ever given a tennis pick on the show, but given that there was nothing else in the MLB that I liked today, 
because everything there was not that many games and and the lines were a bit fluky for for most of them. I like Tiafo money line at minus one thirty four. He's an American playing at an American tournament in Cincinnati against another American, Sebastian Corda. Tiafo just had a big win over Berrettini, who is in. A, he's a big player. Um, not much else to say there. I think Tiafo is going to win. You get good value on him at minus one thirty-four. It's definitely going to be the one, one of the best matches of the night. And Vin, this is where I went completely rogue, and you're going to like this a lot. I think. On. Now, I've never really used Bavada before, right? But I was browsing the web because I wanted to do something different. They have odds on Big Brother. So, first of all, the clear, in my opinion, the favorite to win Big Brother is Turner. Or not Turner, Michael. Michael, right? But, you know... I, obviously, he's playing a great game. Not a lot of people are going to go against him right now. I think he's setting himself up perfect to at least make the final three. And you could bet on Michael to make the final three at plus 110. I think that's great value because he is the clear favorite to win right now, in my opinion. To make the final three even is plus 110. I think that's great value. Um, I would take it, Big Brother fans. I don't know. I've been watching Big Brother a long time. I'd be shocked if he didn't make it to the final three. He's going to win this game if nobody takes him out. I'm telling you that right now. If he makes it to the end, he wins the game. So as a Big Brother fan, if I was in the house, I would know you have to chop him sooner rather than later. They got to get him out or it's going to be bad news for him. That being said, I wouldn't necessarily bet on him to win because I think there is somebody else who I think could win who has more value. So that's why Turner to win Big Brother. That That's who I would put money on. Just because, yeah, yeah, I mean, I don't want to go with the favorite here. I think there's Turner at plus 500. I think that is great value for a guy who I think could go in, other than Michael. Because like I said, Michael's probably a clear on favorite. But Turner at plus 500, I think is worth dabbling a little bit. Sprinkle a little salt, pepper, whatever you got to do. A little sprinkle. Turner to win BB24 at plus 500, I think has some great value. I've never, ever, ever seen odds on it, but they have odds on it. And if you're somebody who uses Bavada or has a website or uh, a bookie that use that has Big Brother odds, I think there is a value in sprinkling a, a little bit on Turner. What about Joseph? Joseph was like up there to win. Yeah. Here, I'll pull it up. He doesn't win comps, but like he's capable of it for me. Yeah, but the thing is the jury. Because the jury's gonna vote, so like, are they gonna see Joseph as like, well, should we vote for Joseph? You know what I mean? Yeah. Just because he didn't do anything. Hold on. Let's see. I mean, what do you think of that? When does the jury start voting? The last night, finale night. Oh. They all vote together, all in private. Well, they're all voting in front of each other, but nobody could see um, what they're voting because um, they have it on a key. You know the key that they put up for eviction? Yeah. Well, they have a key that you put into the thing, except instead of voting who you want to evict, they're voting who they want to win. Got it. Um, so you said Joseph? Yeah. I mean, He's I plus like, 450. Yeah. See, I feel like he has a, I, he has an inside track to win. Too. Turner's down to plus 450 now. That see, I like that. I'm not, I'm not shitting on Turner or Michael. Joseph has both sides of the house on his side, though. 
Everybody left likes him. His social game is on point. Who do you think is – huh? What what were you going to ask? No, go, go, go. I was going to – like, Joseph, the the people that aren't in the leftovers have the – what are they? The five whatever? Oh, the – What was it? The five swatters. The five swatters. Such a stupid fucking name. And two of them are in the leftovers. Joseph and – And Michael. Yeah. No. Yeah, no, Kyle. Kyle. Oh, Kyle, Kyle. Sorry, sorry, Kyle. I just think Joseph's social game gives him a chance to at least be in the final three. Yeah, I mean, he does have a very good social game. Who do you think is the highest odds to win Big Brother? Is it not Michael? No, no, no. I meant like the worst odds I meant. Oh, the worst odds to win Big Brother has to be Jasmine. No, she's third. To win? <laughs> No, third lowest, like third oh. worst. She's plus 2,800. So below her has to be. There's two people below her. Alyssa. Nope. And no? Alyssa's above a Jasmine, yeah. Wow. So it's got to be freaking Terrence. Yep. And um, um, the Brazilian chick. Indy? Indy. Yeah, Indy's plus 8,000. <laughs> She's yeah, done no. nothing. She's yeah. just been like, what is she doing here? Yeah. Literally, she doesn't win anything, doesn't have good social gameplay. She's just waiting to be chopped. Yeah, absolutely. But, so yeah, That's what I got for you. I went a little rogue. Absolutely. So I want you to know before we close the show, I know it's kind of a long one today. She or I watched the episode or not the episode, but like the clips of your favorite dude. The funeral uh-huh. and Brittany getting evicted as a result of him. <laughs> I watched all of it and I think this man is an absolute freaking genius. Genius! Isn't it? But imagine watching that live. It had like so much. Oh my God. Oh, How absolutely. Insane. Like he's a mastermind. He dressed up in all black. Um, what was oh, we have some comments to address. So, G would not vote for Joseph to win, he's done jack squat. Giving him a win at this point would be unfair to the people who have done more. I agree, but I do think there is something to be said for his social game that there are things to take stock in when it comes to voting as a jury, right? The social game Mm -hmm. and the games, the competitions. Joseph's social game is probably number one, but his games are probably number negative in million. Now right? things could flip very quickly. Yes. If he won could. HOH and like took out Michael, now it's like, wow, he might be the favorite. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I completely agree. And then Katie says, I think Joseph is using his social game for now. So when the leftovers have to turn on each other, they don't think he's a threat. Then he goes beast mode. I I like that theory a lot. I, I'm with her on that. Like, I like. There's no way Joseph is just gonna like crawl in a hole and die just because his social game is good, and you know, all that. And G makes a good point. You need may, way, way more than a voice and a social game to win. She's right. I just think we haven't seen the last of Joseph in terms of competitions. Right? Don't you think he's capable of winning one? Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Like, yeah, if, if he wins a comp, takes head of house, and gets rid of a big dog. Absolutely. Then, like, he's done something. I think something big is going to happen this week with the split house. Somebody big is going to go home because they're just going to have to. Yeah. Well, we're running out of non-leftovers. Exactly. There's only four non-leftovers left, and one of them is freaking Terrence. And he's probably going to go home this week. Yeah, I think Terrence is probably going to go home too. So, um, There was something I was going to say. I think he'll be good at the comp where they have to remember exact days that things happened. His mind might be a secret weapon. Yeah, man. At the end of like the season, some of the competitions is like they ask you what happened on day 35 or like whatever, or like who was evicted on day 35, and they have to remember who left the house on day 35. It becomes a mental game at that point. Well, it's like Otev. You Uh had to remember things that happened previously in the the competitions. So he can be brought his sauce. (laughs) Yeah. Katie hates the showmance, apparently. Uh, Freaking Kyle Kyle and Alyssa. Oh. There is a new showman's developing. Taylor and Joseph. Taylor and Joseph, yeah. Wasn't Joseph Taylor a football player? Uh-huh. Sure there was a player named Joseph Ter- Taylor. I could or Taylor Joseph. Maybe it was Taylor Joseph. I, I, I have no idea. You know, uh, the thing that hurts Michael most probably too is his social game. I mean, he's very good at persuading people and, like, creating these alliances. But he's, like, kind of that awkward, shy type of dude, you know. But it, it's working out for him. Yeah. So. And he has, like, a, a secret underground attitude that he really only shows in the diary room. So. Oh, also, I wanted to point out that guy, Josh, he was against uh, the couple that ended up getting married. What are their names? Jeff and Jordan. Or, no, Rachel and Rachel and Brendan. Or Jeff and Jordan, they they both got married. I'm trying okay. to think. What season was Josh in? And he would the, get in a fight. Puerto Rican. Yeah, he was like the loud guy who would bang him. the pans. Yes. Um, I don't remember the number. Jess and Cody. Oh yeah, Cody they pissed me off. Jess and Cody. <laughs> Josh was an asshole too, but fuck Jess and Cody. Josh is hilarious though. <laughs> when he banged the pots and pans. I mean, apparently he like made fun of the girl whose dad died. Like that's fucked up. Josh is still like very well known in reality TV today. Like he's still on TV shows, goes on like the challenge, which is a TV that's show. That's what Katie was saying too. Yeah. She said everyone on that season was the worst. Yeah. You're lucky I wasn't watching that season. I would have mother after this person and mother after that person. But so on one side of the card, it's like, fuck Josh, but also Jess and Cody suck, too. They suck. were they were so okay. Yeah, Cody was just, like, really, like, he was just awkward, really awkward. Yeah. And, like, he, they just both acted so tough. They were tough. So We haven't, we haven't gotten a comment all show, and now it's blowing up. I know, I know. It is what it is. The Big Brother folks are out there in large. Frank, this was a great show. I feel like we had Jesse on a thousand years ago, but it was a great interview. We're going to get her back on to talk Minnesota Wild halfway through that season and get an update on the Minnesota Vikings. Maybe she'll pull through and get Zach Parisi. Like, wouldn't that be something? That'd be sick. Can you imagine? That would just be the coolest thing of all time. Um, Dave Sims did reply to me on Twitter. We are going to have him on at some point. 
So <laughs> I'm hoping it's tomorrow. We'll see if that's able to be the case. If it is the case, would you be able to make it? Yeah, I mean, as you think he'll be on. Yeah, we'll we'll see. I'll I'll for sure uh, get back to you on that. I'm not the Mariners are off tomorrow, so we'll see if he gets back to me. But I do believe it will happen eventually. Um, he seems to be a really nice guy. He's responded. We've had a little bit of back and forth now. So, and you know, that's my hint for everybody to tune into Crosstown Crosstalk tomorrow at 2 p.m. where we will go over um, the Fernando Tatis debacle, what's going on with the Chicago White Sox. They keep winning somehow, defeating teams like the Houston Astros, and they're a game within first place. Maybe by the time Crosstown Crosstalk airs, they'll be tied for first place. They need the Tigers to come through today for that to happen. So, We'll see what goes on, but I encourage everybody to watch all the programming here on the Barroom Network. You heard some great NFL talk in this episode of Bar Down. We're in the middle of hockey offseason, like literally the deadest of dead with the hockey offseason, and we still find a way to have good conversation about the sport and bring in good guests to talk about it, so I'm very excited about that. And I again, there are other programs on this network that are just strictly dedicated to the NFL. You need to check out all of those. College football is right around the corner. We're getting excited about that. Notre Dame versus Ohio State in week one. Like, that's a big heavy hitter right off the bat. We'll see what LSU is able to do with Brian Kelly. See if Georgia is able to come through as a repeat champion. You never know. You just never know with this stuff. So, Frank, is there anything you want to say before we let the folks go on on their merry way finally? Meep. Meep, meep, doodle, meep, moop. <laughs> I hope everybody has a great night, and I cannot thank everybody enough in the chat for chiming in, being a part of the conversation. We will be back with you next week here on Bar Down Talking Hockey. As always, thank you for listening.